Welcome to Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA NABC studios. I'm your host, Dave McHugh. I want to thank our partners also at Blue Frame Technology. We'll talk about all of those later on in the program. If you want to follow us on Twitter, follow us at D3Hoopsville. We use the hashtag Hoopsville for the show, and we use the hashtag D3Hoops for everything else related to Division Three basketball. You can also follow us on Instagram at D3Hoopsville and on Facebook, facebook.com slash Hoopsville. You can also email us if you ever have a question or a thought or want to share ideas. That is hoopsville at d3sports.com. We have it all listed on our show page as well for your information. Of course, this is the third show of the uh, week, and it's the third show of our new season, all talking about the impact the coronavirus is having on this young Division Three season and whether we'll have a full season and NCAA tournaments. Of course, in our very first podcast, we talked to institutions that are playing basketball, and we gave you a bit of an update on where things in Division Three stand as of now. And we talked to um, two schools that were playing, despite it all, or had been playing. Greenville's Dr. George Barber joined us to talk also about his system, uh, a little bit different than the one we're used to at Grinnell and other locations, and talked to him about playing four Division One programs and a lot more. We also talked to Kendra Hassel at Hardin-Simmons about her women's basketball program and how they're trying to play a full 25-game schedule. Certainly encourage you to go listen back on that one as it was full of really good information and intel and understanding of how things have played out. Our last podcast released midweek talked to those who had already canceled their seasons. We talked to Misha Jackson at Emory talking about the decision to cancel fall sports along with the UAA, though not they, they had their own choice, is what I should say at Emory, but also the impact that Emory has on the community and why that decision came to be, despite many in the region still playing basketball as of now or planning to. And then we talked to Mike Blaine at Plattsburgh State. Of course, the SUNYAC was the first all-conference to cancel. Not only conference play, but all institutions canceled as well. One of three conferences that have decided that, all of them public institutions. Talked to Mike about coping with that decision and how it impacted his team, and how they're coping as well, and also other things that Mike has been doing. That's a very interesting podcast. I certainly encourage you to go back and listen to that if you have not. This one, we're going to talk about the impact that COVID has made on schools and otherwise. We're going to talk to two institutions who are at the really at the beginning of the coronavirus um, storyline in Division Three, especially Division Three basketball. We'll talk to Yeshiva's athletics director, Joe Bardish, about the impact that it had on Yeshiva and what they're trying to do now. Remember, Yeshiva was basically at the forefront of all of this when it broke. We'll talk more about that in a bit. But they're trying to keep going, and he'll give you an understanding of what they're trying to do to make that happen. And the the difficulty of that, or at least the juxtaposition it is with the community that they represent, that they come from, etc., uh, in the Jewish religion. It's a fascinating conversation and certainly one I found uh, enlightening. And then we'll go up into New England a little bit and talk to the athletics director and Amherst. Don Falstick joined us to talk about the decisions really that were made way back in March that Amherst, again, kind of at the beginning of all this, uh, made decisions in the tournament that certainly had a lot of us talking and then they, along with the rest of their NESCAC brethren, have been at the forefront of decisions to cancel spring sports, cancel fall sports, and cancel winter sports competition. 
We talk about all those dynamics and more importantly, what the decisions at Amherst were and why the decision to cancel sports there, especially the winter sports, were made. He gives you an idea of understanding why the decision was made at Amherst and how you can then relate that to other institutions and though also at the same time how you how it's hard to relate them to other institutions. It, it talks about the complexity of it all. Great conversations. And then we'll finish it up with Pat Coleman, editor-in-chief of D3sports.com, including D3hoops.com, talking about the huge impact this is having on even us as a uh, set of websites at D3 Hoops, D3 Football, D3 Baseball, and D3 Sports. He'll talk about the fundraising efforts that we're having as a group of websites, which differ a little bit from Hoopsville, and we'll explain that later in the show as well. It is a bit of a lengthy podcast. For those of you who don't like the longer shows, I apologize, but we have a lot of really interesting and important information that we felt was necessary to share. Also, speaking of important information, let's transition back to the first podcast. We gave you a, a long update on where we saw things stand in Division Three. On the last podcast, number two, we said we didn't think there'd be a lot of movement by the end of the week, and, and I still don't think we're going to see a ton, but we've seen a little bit of clues here and there that, depending on how you look at them, are either an optimistic look or a pessimistic look. As I've said to many, um, both publicly and privately, I can be pessimistic or optimistic, depending on how I look at things, depending on what time of day you catch me. I might be very optimistic when I see conferences like the CCIW and others put forth plans that are very well thought out, have clearly got a, a, a backing behind them and have a testing plan in front of them and an understanding of how they can make it work. And you look at that and you see more and more conferences come out with that and you go, oh, you know, this is, this is very possible. We, we could easily have a season per se. So far right now, we have 17 conferences who have plans to play. That counteracts with three conferences that have called it all off, like I mentioned, SUNYAC, MASCAC, and, and CUNYAC. And then you have 12 that have decided, listen, we're calling off comp conference competition, but the schools have the autonomy to make their own decisions. And we have four that have delayed their starts. It equals the 44 conferences in Division Three. It leaves us about eight conferences, the AEC, the AMCC, the Triple C, the CSAC, the NAC, the NJAC, the Skyline, and the UMAC, who have not formally announced anything. The AEC did come out uh, Thursday with an announcement saying they're still hoping to have plans for the for basketball season. We'll talk about their announcement a little bit more in a minute. I've been told the AMCC has a plan that went up to the president's level. I have not heard since of trying to have a season in the AMCC, though not everybody may be on board, but we haven't heard anything officially as of yet. The Triple C has given us an interesting clue, and this is, talks about being the optimistic and pessimistic. As I mentioned in a previous podcast, they're a conference that, when you read between the lines, may be in the delayed category, because by the time they get students back on campus and acclimated and ready to start playing, which is a two-week process, they may be too late for the NCAAs. Then you go to the CSAC, and I know they're working towards something. They just haven't been flat-out... Um, and they haven't released a press release, we should say, stating their exact intentions as they wait a little bit longer. And that's the same with the NAC. The NAC has said they're still working. And schools, especially in the state of Maine in the NAC, have stated that they are going to have uh, teams back and playing by mid to late January. The problem is you've got other states, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. You can also look at the NJAC. 
NJAC hasn't said anything. They're one of those other public institutional conferences that I think is just waiting as long as possible for something to happen or really to make a decision. I think they're trying to make a go of it, but we just haven't heard anything official. The Skyline is another conference we'll talk about in a moment that uh, some things have developed. And then the UMAC, we haven't heard anything from, though if you look at the school's pages, you see an effort at least to try and get back for next season or for, for the next year to start the season. But that gets you to the complexity of things, to say the least. For, for those of you trying to keep track, we on our website at d3hoops.com and at d3sports.com have a comp comprehensive list. And it's based on an Excel sheet I've got going, and we've all kept tabulated as best we can. I once again went back through the numbers recently to try and figure out where do we stand on a lot of this and to do the math. If you look at all of Division Three, including those who are in the provisional pipeline, there are just a shade under 17% of the men's basketball teams have opted out of the season, and just over 17% on the women's side have opted out. As far as those who will be eligible, a tick over 26% will not be eligible for the NCAA tournament, and a shade under 26% on the women's basketball side. Now, we have to remove the probationary schools, though. There are six of them who are in the probationary pipeline that wouldn't account for the NCAA tournaments anyway. So on the men's side, you go from 422 schools to 416, and on the women's side, you go from 437 to 431. And that changes the numbers eh, slightly doesn't make a huge difference in terms of schools that have opted out on the men's side, just a shade under 17%, but it makes it a slightly higher as those who have opted out and are not eligible gets to about 26 and a quarter percent. On the women's side, it actually ticks under 17% of those who have canceled and ticks closer to 26% of those who have opted out or will not be eligible. Sounds like a lot of numbers. I get it. Let's go back to the raw numbers. We have 70 men's teams that have canceled. And those also who are not eligible adds in another 39 who have either had conferences delay their seasons or institutions have announced delayed seasons. As a result, we have 109 men's programs that have delayed. In the meantime, we have about 160 men's programs who have conference, conferences who have plans to play later in the season, though that number might be a little bit low. Not eligible on the women's side, we have 112 over with 73 cancellations. So if you look at this and you kind of put it all together, we need about 166, 167 men's programs to cancel the NCAA tournaments. And we are less than 60 away from that. We're really about, no, a shade over 50. On the women's side, we need 172 and we're at 112. So we're right at that 60 mark. And a reminder, this is back to the championships committee's decision, as we have been told. Um, that says that if a conference or schools decide to still have their season, but would not be eligible for the NCAA tournament, meaning that they would not, uh, they may be playing, but they would never have a season that would allow their AQ to be decided in time or they'll be playing outside the quote-unquote season, that they would not count towards participation numbers. Give you another idea. The Empire 8 is hoping to start play in about early March, maybe late February, and have conference action. Well, that's only a week or so before the NCAA tournament is supposed to start. Or if you or I should say the brackets are announced, which will be March 7th. March 10th is when the tournament would start. Well, obviously, they're not going to play enough games, nine minimum, or be anywhere close to, to handing out an AQ that would go to the NCAA tournament. So they would not count as eligible. And there are four conferences that have done that. The Empire 8, the SLIAC, and the two MAC conferences, the Freedom and Commonwealth. 
if any other if anybody else does postpone their seasons, that will have a huge impact. And let's go back to what I said earlier about the Triple C. When you look at the Commonwealth Coast Conference and you look at the statement they sent out in early November, it said most of our schools will be returning students by February 1 or early February. We will make a decision about our season before that. Well, if you add in the acclimation process, you look at that timing, that is mid-February before they could even have any games playing. There's no chance, re realistically, with testing and everything else, that they're going to get nine games done and even have an AQ probably decided in time for the NCAs. Now, there's still an outside chance, but, but starting February 14th basically gives them less than three weeks, roughly. You look at a conference like the WIAC, which earlier this week said, hey, we're coming out and we're going to play. We're starting in early February, meaning the students will be back by mid-January. That's about the latest dead timeline you can get to play games responsibly with testing and all of those things in place to get in the amount of games and even uh, an AQ opportunity with a tournament or however you're deciding your AQ to qualify for the NCAAs. And the CCC is two weeks later than that. So that's where that's where my mind is in trying to figure out the landscape, especially as I mentioned with the triple C. So if the triple C goes, that's 10 more schools that go into the category of either canceled or not eligible. And that roughly 50 number becomes roughly 40. You look at another conference like the Skyline. We mentioned and we did this a lot on Twitter that at one point they had a seven five split. Seven schools that were going to try and come back mid-January and play a schedule together for an AQ to go to the NCAA tournament. You'll hear more about that coming up. Well, not about that specifically, but you'll hear more about the efforts to play with Yeshiva in our interview. If you turn to the other five, they were coming back late enough that they wouldn't be able to play any meaningful amount of games to be eligible, but they were going to play together as a group for some, you know, from experience and for some, um, at least give a chance for the student-athletes to, to play. Now, that first group of seven lost two members a few weeks back in St. Joe's Brooklyn and St. Joe's Long Island, which I've mentioned before. That cut them down to five. The other group of five is now down to two due to school cancellations of institutions. And the first group of five is now down to four, the minimum number that they can have. As Mount St. Mary just recently announced, they will not have a winter season, basketball primarily. So that now first group of four is down to the minimum allowed. As, as the NCAA has said, you can have four conference members playing for an AQ and it will they will grant this year the AQ. We're not worried about the minimums of six and seven and all that stuff. But now the skyline's in trouble. This group of 12 is down to a group of six split off in four and two. And so now you start looking at numbers starting to fall apart. And that's why this starts to get more complicated. And, and you go to the NAC, and this gets us to the other problem. State guidelines are starting to become, if they weren't already, the biggest challenge. And I turned to an article in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette a few days back saying state, the title is, State Cautions Colleges About Reopening This Spring Giving Soaring COVID-19 Cases. Two state agencies, I'm reading the first paragraph, and we'll link this on our show page, are urging college, universities, and other higher education institutions to maximize re remote instruction and consider delaying the return of students to campus 
since COVID-19 hospitalizations, quote, could peak in January and February, unquote. Think about that for a second. They're asking schools to delay. Remember, in Pennsylvania, there are 61 Division three institutions. Of that 61, four have already announced canceled seasons. We had Swarthmore being the first and probably the most um, headline-grabbing one. You also have um, UAA member Carnegie Mellon, who has canceled, along with two others. You have 14 that are delayed in the MAC Commonwealth and MAC Freedom Conferences. As a result, those are 18 of the 61 that have already been marked in our system as out. There are 33 more that this could impact. 30 more institutions, if they're being asked to either not have students on campus, delay bringing students back on campus, or delay starting in general, you now have 33 we're going to have to add to the totem pole, or the totem pole, the tote board, because it pushes any chance of having a season. Let's say they were coming back in mid-January. Now they're not coming back till mid-February, early February at the earliest. They're not going to get back in time to play. And so that's 33. We add to what we, with the triple C, we'd already, you know, whittled down to a little over 40. So now we're less than 10 from pulling the trigger on things. Now let's go back to our conversation with Mike Blaine. And he talked, we, we mentioned and hinted at, and we've heard about a similar kind of decision in New York that may not be a request. It may be a mandate. And now any of the schools in the Liberty League who are hoping to try and play a season, uh, even even though conference action is out, any of them who are not in the uh, SUNYAC system but are SUNY schools, any that are like Rochester or any in the skyline who are New York schools who are being told by the state that they must postpone, we quickly, very quickly, go past the magic number to cancel and see tournaments. And we have not talked about the other states that this impacts. In New England, when you talk about the NAC, best of my knowledge, and maybe this has changed, in the state of Vermont, the two Vermont schools in the NAC can't even leave the state to play sports. You again have a whole host of New York schools that likely will not be able to be allowed to play or may not be able to leave the state. State of Maine has lots of restrictions in place, including quarantines should you leave the state. And it gets tricky on how far you might be able to leave the state. Not that Southern Maine is in the NAC, but I brought them up as an example before about the difficulties of being able to play. And so they've delayed the season best we can tell. And so you quickly, very quickly start adding up schools that are not going to be eligible for the NCAA tournament. Despite the best efforts of conferences like the Little East, who has apparently come out with a conference schedule of those who are remaining in New Hampshire, Rhode Island, Connecticut, and Massachusetts, you have the CCIW who says they want to have a schedule, which I applaud, but they have two states in Wisconsin and Illinois who are tightening in and tightening in all their restrictions. Remember, the NACC put in a plan that splits Wisconsin and Illinois so they don't have to leave the state. CCIW doesn't have that plan, really doesn't have that luxury of a plan. And there are other states. State of Maryland has recently put in restrictions for travel out of the state, which would impact all of the schools in Maryland once that, and there's eight of them in Division Three. once that, um, until that is released. This starts adding up quickly. And despite the efforts of those in Texas, despite the efforts of those in the South, elsewhere, despite the efforts in other places, 
in the, in the middle of the country, the numbers are adding up quickly. As you can, you can talk to me at one point, I'll be optimistic. I go through things like this, and I become pessimistic on whether we can hold the number. Somebody asked me for a percentage number of what I thought the chances of the NCAA tournament were. I'm not going to give that number out because I hate giving those kinds of things out. But it wasn't a very high um, number in terms of my thought, my percentage of what I thought the NCAA tournament would play. I want to see the NCAA tournament played. I want to see teams on the court. I want to see basketball being played. I want to have a, a show here twice a week talking about the great efforts of student-athletes in Division Three. But unfortunately, the numbers just don't look good. I'm trying to be positive. But it's hard to see that when you see the numbers adding up. We only need a, a roughly 60 Division Three men's programs and roughly 70 Division Three women's programs to cancel and the NCAA tournaments are off. It doesn't mean basketball won't be played. I think these conferences, even if an NCAA tournament doesn't take place, may still try and have conference games, conference tournaments. Heck, there's even been scuttlebutt of, hey, could we put the uh, regional contest together for a regional title this year? I think those things could still happen. I think we could still be talking a little bit about basketball. We just won't be talking about NCAA tournaments. We also may lose a lot more schools that I haven't even talked about because their local areas are just too challenging. The MIA has lost St. Mary. There's, I think, reasonable suspicion to suspect there's one, two, maybe three more that could pull the plug. And another state in Michigan, primarily, that has put in some tough restrictions and could get tougher. The OAC currently is playing, but I know for a fact that the OAC is nervous that their governor, as he did before, will tighten things up and they were not going to be able to play. I'm not saying it will happen. I just don't know if we're going to get an NCAA tournament. And if you're wondering about the 60%, that's based on the fact that we're down to a 48-team tournament, which is roughly 60% um, participation numbers would give us 48-team tournament. Once we tip past that, the NCAA is not going to play this game of, okay, so we're at 55%, that equals, okay, we'll have a 44-team tournament. All right, we're down to 50, okay, we'll have a, we'll a 36-team tournament. Okay, we're, down, we're, we're not going to play that game. And so the chances are the NCAA tournament's going to be off. Whether the full season's off, I don't know, but let me circle back to the AEC. The statement they made recently, I think, is telling, and this is what I'm starting to hear more and more about, and something I was preaching about back in August. More and more institutions and conferences are looking to the spring and realizing we now officially are hitting a point where a sport is going to lose its second season. We could argue that the winter sports are part of that but let's be honest winter sports were already into their championships unfortunately track and field and swimming were already at their sites track and field had already had their meeting when their plug got pulled basketball as we know we were down to the last 16 teams in both genders in reality we had had full seasons we had had conference tournaments and conference championships in all of our winter sports we only lost the tail end, and national championships. In spring sports, they barely had played anything by the time everything got pulled. They hadn't gotten to the meat and the crux of their seasons. They hadn't gotten to conference play necessarily. They certainly hadn't gotten to conference tournament and AQs, 
And the NCAA tournament was still two months down the road in most sports. Now we're getting to a point where spring sports is about to possibly lose an entire second season. And at some places they already have. And now, as the AEC says, they are looking towards the spring semester and their focus is primarily on making sure spring sports can play, which means winter sports and basketball have to take a back seat. I said this in August when all these pronouncements came out saying, Fall sports are canceled. We're going to try and make an effort to move to the spring. We're going to focus on getting them a schedule in the spring. Here's our schedule in the spring. And I said full-throatedly, this is all well and good, but please focus on the winter and spring sports, especially the spring sports who lost their seasons last year. Let's not do things that puts their chances of a season in jeopardy. Now we're starting to hear that. And I've heard that from others at institutions, and I've heard that from others from elsewhere that the focus on spring sports needs to be a priority. Whether it happens is another conversation. But to get distracted too much and, and push things too far into the spring that it impacts whether the spring can be successful is now a serious conversation. We've seen it with school conferences that said we will have fall football and now have said we won't have fall football. I'm not saying this is happening everywhere, but you're starting to see signs that basketball is starting to take a backseat to maybe spring. And I understand why. Yes, basketball could lose this season, but we didn't lose all of last season. We just lost the tail end. We only lost 32 schools of 850-some-odd programs. 32 were remaining. And so all of this combined, everything I've just spent the last, what, eight some odd minutes on, all of that combined is why numbers are going to increase along with the other impact, and that's school closings. There are a number of schools out there who are in jeopardy of closing, and they're doing everything they can to hold on tight to a season. And those are the ones you're going to see at the very end, especially, not all, but most, trying to keep their seasons alive. Try and keep these sports alive. Because they need student-athletes on campus to help keep their institutions open. And that's where COVID has had a huge impact. We already had an idea that schools were going to cl close this year. I predicted in the year 2020, on January 1, that 10 to 12 Division three institutions were closed. We're not going to get to that number. It certainly looked like we would. But I think COVID, in, in a little bit, put a pause on everything because a number of schools that were on the verge of closing all of a sudden put a ton of resources in trying to stay open and survive COVID or they would have closed immediately. Those checks are coming due. And institutions that we didn't realize were struggling that have taken a hit, their checks are coming due too. And so this is where you get this dichotomy of schools that make decisions on whether to have sports because of testing and all the resources they have to put in place. Some will put everything they can in, betting on now, in hopes of staying open for the future. While others will not make that spending investiture because they figure we can't spend that money now if we want to stay open for the future. There's also the other side of it, of schools who have money to burn and either say, we aren't going to risk it lawsuits or whatever you want to call it, whatever the reasons may be, we don't want to spend all that money. So we're going to keep our hard earned money and, and leave it in the bank. And others who say, well, we got money to burn 
and we can afford all of this and we're going to go forward. So you have literally like four different camps, but those first two I was talking about are the most important because we will see a large increase in closures in Division Three, And we're going to see it from lots of reasons. Some of the economics of higher education. We have too many higher educational schools in this country, plain and simple. The baby boomer idea of college is waning at best. Let's be honest, college is not the best option for a lot of people. We have over a 7 million person gap in the trades between the amount of people needed in the trades versus the amount of people in the trades. We're under by 7 million plus. I think it'd be hard pressed to not admit that we have a lot of people in college that the trades might be better for them, that the trades are their skill, that the trades are their future. And that's a good future to have. You can make very good money being a plumber, an electrician, a carpenter, whatever it is, and have far less debt coming out of college. And there are good trade schools around the country. As the result, that pendulum was starting to swing already. We were already going to start seeing school closures. We already, we already know of school closures that are happening. We already know the stories of Wesley. Like, what, will Wesley survive all this despite being gobbled up by Delaware State? You know, will the athletics department survive it? They weren't going to survive otherwise because that pendulum was swinging. COVID has shoved that pendulum. And so we were going to see a significant number of closures, and we may see an increase in Division Three too because they'll, schools and other um, divisions and other locales decide this isn't, this isn't right for us. Division Three is a better fit. But my point being is some of these decisions on closures are going to come down to whether the school can stay open. And if they lose this season, it could lead to schools shutting down. And we're going to see some big surprises in schools shutting down, and we're going to see some that are very, are very much not surprises. We don't know what they are yet. I suspect well, maybe February, March, we'll start seeing those decisions start to roll in for the next year. It's very interesting times in Division Three. It doesn't all hinge on basketball. It doesn't hinge on decisions here, but they're part of the hinge. So we've talked for quite a bit there, long opening segment of what is a long podcast, but it's information that I discuss with others. It's information I have in my head that I discuss with conference commissioners, ADs, coaches, other administrators throughout Division Three. This is the reality on the table. And while there are very heartfelt and cohesive efforts to try and have a season, and there may be seasons for a lot of schools and teams throughout Division Three. The, wor the thing is, I just don't think we're going to have NCAA tournaments. And unfortunately, two years in a row, we won't have a, conference or a, a national champion in either sport. It's unfortunate. It's unfortunate we've gotten here. I won't go off on why we're here. I don't think we could have avoided this, I think. But we're here. And this is the reality. I still, again, I think conferences will try and play. I think conferences will have seasons. I think conferences will have conference champions. Unfortunately, I don't think we're going to have a national champion. Maybe we'll have regional champions, but I don't think we're going to have national champions because the numbers just don't look good. Now, catch me in 15 minutes. I might be a little more optimistic, but this is me having spent the good portion of the last few weeks crunching these numbers and talking with people and getting a sense of what could happen. And again, the committees are trying to make this happen. The committees don't want to lose the tournaments. The committees are making every effort possible. 
But at some point, you got to draw a line in the sand and say, once we cross this, it's over. The line's been put down at 60%. Unless we have some miracle from the Management and President's Council that blows that up, and I suspect they won't, that line has been drawn. Here's another thought. We have three divisions in the NCAA, Division One, Two, II, and Three. They're talking about moving Division One's women's tournament to San Antonio as, as an entire bubble and moving the men's tournament to Indianapolis. Those were the uh, planned homes of the Final Fours for both, again, as an entire bubble. They're not talking about moving Division Two and Division Three, despite efforts on Twitter. They're not going to do that. But what's more important? The Division Two and Division Three tournaments or the Division One tournament? Do not forget, we need, especially in the men's March Madness, to take place because it brings in 90-plus percent of the NCAA revenue for all three divisions in that tournament. And we've already seen the impact of not having that tournament. Not having it two years in a row would be devastating to the entirety of the NCAA and Division Three. If, if we need to put off the Division Three tournament to make sure we have the Division One tournament, meaning we don't spend the money in Division Three, and Division One puts has all the focus to get that tournament in, so be it if we want to continue to have a division. I know that might be controversial to hear. But the reality is we don't bring any money in from Division Three. We spend money. At least Division One's tournaments, if they can get done successfully, will bring in the money so we can be back here next year and the year after that and the following year returning to normalcy and talking about Division Three basketball. And with that, we will get on with the rest of the show. When we come back, a lengthy conversation with Yeshiva's athletics director about how they're trying to keep their seasons alive and the decisions encompassing all of that including a rather detailed retrospective of uh, a weekend in March in, in Baltimore, or at least the efforts to play basketball. We'll also talk again, as I said, to Amherst's AD about all their decisions and the opposite road that they have taken compared to Yeshiva. And again, Pat Coleman will come on as well, talk about the challenges we have at the D3Sports.com network. You're listening to Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC studios. More after this. More schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games, leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. It's on us to stop sexual assault. In any way that we can. To get a friend home safe. To never blame the victim. It's on us. To stand up. To make our community safe for all. It's on us. It's on us to look out for each other at parties. It's on us. To be more than just a bystander. To step up and say something. It's on us, all of us. To, to stop, stop sexual assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. 
We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. We place the education, safety, and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are the WBCA. Welcome back to Hoopsville on our third podcast of the week and of the season, our 18th season. Coming to you thanks to D3Hoops.com and Blue Frame Technology from the WBCA and ABC Studios. I'm your host, Dave McHugh. Always follow us for the latest news and stuff on at D3Hoopsville, using the hashtag Hoopsville for the show and using the hashtag D3Hoops for Division Three news. You can also follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. You can also follow us on Instagram at D3Hoopsville as well. I'm fighting off a bit of a cold. Hope you don't mind. I don't mind saying I just have a cold. Um, when it comes to Yeshiva, they were basically the start of the serious part of COVID in Division Three basketball. It was on this air that we had breaking news on the Thursday, the night before the first round of the NCAA tournament last season. Yeshiva had been essentially kicked out of their hotel in the Baltimore area, Baltimore City. They were in Baltimore County, to be exact, in the, at least for the uh, hotel. And later in the program, we had Elliot Steinmetz on the show to talk about the experience. And then they ended up playing, because later that night, Johns Hopkins announced that they would be closing the gym to the games. There's such a story behind that. The reason Yeshiva was in Baltimore, because of the sheer numbers of, of Jewish faithful, the number of Jewish people flying in from around the country, it was, and of course, all those from Yeshiva coming down, the numbers for the games were going to be staggering. The Goldfarb would never have been louder. And we started with how COVID was going to affect things that day. And, and literally after the show that night, I was about to turn off my phone when Hopkins's news got released. And it was nonstop for seven days after that, before the NCAA tournaments, really eight days, before the NCAA tournaments were officially called off. Yeshiva was the starting point in our world. So I thought it'd be interesting to talk to Yeshiva's athletics director about how they're dealing with COVID because they're trying to play this season and they're trying to make a go of it. And his take on how they're trying to make that happen, despite some interesting juxtapositions with their own religion and their their own beliefs, and I want to say beliefs, but what they do for tradition might be a better way of saying it, I thought was an interesting uh, perspective. So we talked to Joe Bednarsh about all of that, and I found the conversation very interesting, certainly longer than we expected, and we hope you'll find it interesting as well. Now joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline is Joe Bednarsh. He is the athletics director for Yeshiva University. I think everybody knows the school by now. Sir, thanks for taking the time to join us. I appreciate it. My pleasure, Dave. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, let's start with, with the basics here. We would be lying if we said anything since March 12 has been easy in athletics, despite the fact there's been plenty of time since then. To quote a, a friend of ours, Jason Fine, on a, our podcast back in September, he had 10 plans going into the fall and all 10 got thrown out. How, how hard has it been from an administrator's point of view 
just trying to figure out the who, what's, where's, and when's of, of anything. It's interesting, actually. Uh, uh, we had four different plans going in, um, and we continue to have four different plans, and we want to do everything we can to have a season. With Yeshiva's unique schedule, though, we didn't know when we would start. We didn't know when we would have students on campus. So even in May, June, July, August, we just didn't know when the first date we'd have kids on campus was because the unique schedule is that our students are off for the Jewish holidays in the fall. So would we start and then they would be off, potentially going back to their home states or, or, or hometowns and then come back? Would we start following the Jewish holidays? And if we do, how would that impact intercession? So we didn't even know the schedule until late, the academic schedule. And we were planning for, hey, what happens if we start before the holidays? Are we gonna keep the kids here? And if we keep the student athletes here, how are we gonna feed them? Where are we gonna house them? Where will we have prayers for them over the Jewish holidays? It's a lot more to think about than just a typical private school. Just to get them on campus and to get them in a position where we could start to do our um, uh, medical checks and our COVID testing strategy and get them to start practicing in pods and move on from there, it took an intense amount of pre-planning. It took literally administrators from across the university. I think that's what's also interesting is, and this isn't true everywhere, but one theme I've gotten is that if anything, if there hasn't been a cohesion between athletics and general administrations, it's almost been forced to some degree to come together because what administration is thinking about X, Y, Z and whatever other letters of the alphabet when it comes to student life, they have to also now consider how athletics will play a role in that, how it will impact things, how it will change those plans. And whether you, it, to me, whether you had a good relationship with the administration or not, you now need to have a relationship and it's got to be a two-way street. Is, is that fair or am I being a little grandiose? I think it's fair uh, with the caveat that I can't speak for other schools, but mm -hmm. at least at Yeshiva, even if you're having challenges or you're not agreeing on something, we all truly believe that students are our true north. Uh, and so that's, that's what we're working toward. That, that's what, when I call somebody in admissions or I call somebody in facilities and we say, hey, we need this done, we're all trying to make that student experience better. And, and I think that goes a long way to helping with any kind of relationship, because you and I both know it's impossible to get along with and work smoothly with, with everybody. But if you all have the same ultimate goal, which I, I honestly feel we do, it's one of the reasons I love working here. We, we all have the same goal. Students are our goal. They're our batteries. They're what charge us. They're what keeps us going. As long as you keep that in mind, you, you're going to be doing the right thing. I know, again, we're talking to you specifically about Yeshiva, and I want to get to some of the weirder, weirder predicaments and I don't mean weird in a bad way just every place has something that hurt that 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 challenges them even if it's a street across a school across the street from you but I know you're familiar with what others in the skyline are dealing with I'm sure you're familiar with what others in your New York area are dealing with whether they're in your conference or not etc cetera, etc cetera. in general because I realize this is a wide shot question 
in general, what are some of the most common things that administrators have been dealing with who are trying to get athletics to have competitions and the like? I would say, especially being in New York, where, you know, you have a governor who had to deal with, you know, the, the outbreak yeah. and, and now is being very cautious you have to worry about testing. Is testing going to be available? How long will it take to get the results back? Uh, how long are you comfortable not having results, but yet having your players participate in practice? The rule recently changed that the governor on, uh, on the 23rd, the governor said gyms have to close at 10 p.m. Yeah. So we normally stay open until 2 a.m. So if we have a practice from 8 to 10, no big deal. Our student body can have time to play after practice is over. But now if we have practice from eight to 10, that's it. The facility closes down. So how do you adjust practice so you're not only being uh, good to the student athletes, but you're fulfilling your responsibility to the student body? What do you do if one of your athletes uh, tests positive? What do you do if half the team has to quarantine? How are you going to feed them if you can't uh, have cafeterias open, or if restaurants can't have people indoors. There's only so much available space out there, especially in New York City, sure. uh, unless you want to spill out onto, onto the street. And in New York City, I would not recommend no, that. No, it's barely no. safe on the sidewalk. Yeah, fair. <laughs> <laughs> so all of those logistical concerns, and then you add in that I have 250 young adults whose parents have put them in my trust. And I have to do everything not to betray that trust. So how far do I go? So obviously lots of challenges and you name a lot that everybody has to deal with. I want to talk about testing really quick because I think some people don't quite understand it. And honestly, I've gotten confused and I'm trying to read NCAA guidelines. And we sent out a tweet uh, by the time this is, is, is put into the public sphere several weeks ago where the NCA said, hey, here are, the, here are the new recommendations. Here's the new uh, reacclimation, whatever the terminology was. And um, here's the testing procedures, blah, blah, blah. And we look at the FAQ, and I get it sent to me from reputable individuals who I trust and says, this still says we got to test three times a week and that back-to-back -back games doesn't matter. We're hosed. And so we look at it and we discuss it and we see it for about 30 minutes. We're like, you know what? This has got a good point here. So I send out a tweet. Well, of course, that created a problem because it turns out, well, maybe no, the NCA said something else. That, that they said it's okay if you have back-to-back -back testing, you can test two days before the second game, blah, 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 blah. How hard has it been with testing, just testing alone, to make sure you understand what you do need to do and understand how much it's going to cost? The cost is a major issue. Sure. And I think that... I mean, and, and that's an obvious statement. I think the whole reason why a lot of conferences asked the NCAA about weekend back-to-back -back games was to avoid a lot of the cost of testing. Yes, absolutely. I made the decision that we were going to test all of our student-athletes from the beginning twice a week. Okay. We're not going to take 25% and test them. We're going to test all of them twice a week. Well, and let's, let's just preface this that you, I said, again, said earlier, 250 students you have a little bit of an advantage there, whereas 250 might be 25% of another, well, I'm, Correct. I'm getting a little too easy in my math. It's 50% of maybe another institution or maybe quarter of a percent of another institution. Well, it's, it's also even fewer because we're only talking about sports that are practicing at the oh, moment. Oh, fair. 
Okay. So I only have four teams that are practicing at the moment, two basketballs and two fencings. And so we're just testing them. And I don't want to diminish what you're doing. I just want to point out that the number compared to others, and that's why it, you can get to that decision. So we, we only have four teams that are testing right now. And not to say that it isn't an expense, but we've been doing um, saliva testing uh, and twice a week, it's sort of in the middle of the expense range. We're not doing the rapid testing. I don't think the rapid testing is accurate enough yet. I'm hoping that it will be shortly. And right now we're transitioning over to a different laboratory, which will give us faster results. And it will also charge the students insurance. I believe surveillance testing has to be covered by insurance. So schools can, is my understanding, can go to a system like that where it will not cost them any money. Interesting. So that's what we're transitioning over to. And we're transitioning over to that in advance of expecting to compete. And if we are going to have to test three times a week, then that might be the best way to do it. If because we're playing only weekend games, we have to test once a week, we're not going to go under two. I'm telling you that right now. I'm not comfortable going under two times a week. But if we have to go three, we'll figure it out. But if everyone else is going once, I, I think it'll be okay as long as people are on top of it. And I believe that every single one of my colleagues to a person wants their student athletes to get an experience other than COVID-19, a memory other than a pandemic. And that is by having a legitimate and robust season. Not to belabor testing, but the, how do you, where do you, um, go for your advice. You get the information from the NCA. Yes, they've got a medical team that puts out FAQs, but that's also where all the confusion kind of dropped in. I don't know how readily available they are for you. I assume you probably have a health group on your campus that you can talk with, but who's really an expert in all this? Where I, I, can't, I can't imagine it's falling on your shoulders and you're doing Google searches to try and best understand what you need to do. Where do you turn when you need to figure out what's my best course of action or how do I understand what this is? How do I understand what this is? How do I understand what the impact of that is? What's the right timing? Man, there's, in my head, there's a litany of questions and I'm only barely touching the tip of the iceberg when it comes to all the information you've got. So I will tell you that unfortunately, the amount of coronavirus-related information and testing information that is now contained in my brain has pushed out the names of high school friends. I can't remember so many things. <laughs> yes, but understand. We are, we are very lucky to have a, a medical director. The university brought in a medical director, and we have meetings with him all the time, and I can text or email him and get call him, get an answer for a specific question anytime I need. And, and so when I have a situation that is a repeat situation, we know what to do. When we have a situation that's brand new, we run it past him. And, and there are things I think that no one is sure of. Uh, not Dr. Fauci, not the CDC, not the DOH. Uh, I, I don't think anyone really knows if someone had COVID in the last 90 days could they transmit it to somebody else, even if they're considered immune? I, I just don't think that there's an answer to that. And so we make the best decisions that we can, erring always, always on the side of health and safety. It certainly makes sense to me, and, and it's novel 
has a name for a reason. We're all still learning things. Let me, let me shift gears and talk about d- decisions made about what you're going to do as an institution, as a conference, et cetera. There's a, you know, lots of schools have made different, different decisions at different times. We, we can all point back to Bowdoin making the decision to call off uh, sports until January of 2021, back in late June. And we all thought, well, I said publicly, I will repeat this premise from, from, from now until the cows come home, or from then until the cows come home. Iowa was hoping to, to everything to, that we would prove Bowdoin was way too early in that decision and way too quick to pull the trigger and would look like fools, not because they made the decision, but because we finally, as a society, got our heads around everything, figured it out, and made things better. Bowdoin looked like they made the smart decision I, I, because now we look like fools. And I said that again when others were making decisions about these winter sports. We're going to look like fools if they turn out to be right, and it's not a knock on them. How do you guys make decisions about things when you, let's be honest, don't know what the end of January looks like right now. You don't know what the middle of February is going to look like right now. You don't know what April is going to look like right now. Can you give us a, an idea of how you made decisions in the fall and how you're trying to make decisions now? I think that people that work in athletics are uniquely well-suited for a situation like this. Interesting. And what I mean is, What we do is we plan everything 100% perfectly, and then we deal when 90% of it goes wrong, because that's just what happens. And we've become, everyone in athletics across the country is so good at making decisions on the fly and so good at keeping the information in their heads that they need and being able to recall it and, and change your strategy as you need to. So I think that uniquely positions us in a good spot because you're right, we don't know. And I don't know what tomorrow will bring. And when I talk to my student athletes, I tell them, well, that's the answer as of 12.18 at 11.15 p.m. Sure. Uh, and, And you really don't have a choice. However, all of that said, the worst thing that you can do as an administrator is kick a can down the road. That's a terrible, terrible But we're seeing a lot of that. Well, that's the only thing you can do. Ah. The only thing you can do right now is kick the can down the road, keep everybody safe, prepare for the best. And that's what we're doing. I am pushing off as many decisions as I can. I have my teams practicing and I have my teams testing and I have my teams quarantining as they need to and staying away from other people and not going to weddings and not going home for the Sabbath or not going away for Thanksgiving. Nobody from our our men's basketball team, for example, went away for Thanksgiving. Not a single one. And that's because they want to play. And they know that things are so in flux. So when we kick the can down the road a little bit, it doesn't mean we're not making decisions in the moment. In the moment, we're trying to keep everybody safe and keep things going in the hopes that when the middle of January comes, everybody has been doing that and the country is in a better spot and we're ready to go and we're ready to play. If that doesn't happen, we'll adjust. We'll find a way to do something for the student athletes, but it's not easy. You can't have a definitive rubric to use to make decisions. And that makes it very difficult. So you talk to your team, you talk to the student athletes, you talk to the administrators, you talk to the presidents, you get everybody's opinion and that will help you make the best decision possible. I asked the next one 
a little trepidatiously because I realize as we much as we talk about bringing administration and athletics together, a lot of these decisions ultimately are being made by presidents. And there's a lot at play with presidents. And, I, and I'm going to be a little opinionated so people just buckle up. We see where presidents are very egotistical when a lot of these decisions come down, whether it's in one conference where it made the newspaper, where one side of the conference had presidents trying to be safe. Uh, I, I use the quote smart or use the word smart in quotation marks. I just mean for them, what they think is a smart decision, be safe, be cautious, be wary. And you got the other side going gung ho sports. Let's go. We want sports, sports, sports. I don't know what's right or wrong. Don't get me wrong. My point is, everything you might want to do, say, execute, et cetera, ultimately is up to presidents that you have absolutely no control over to some degree, especially in your conference. How do, how do you try and make it work or get your opinion to make sense or, or work with that dynamic? It's a fantastic question because I agree with you. I don't think either side is right. I think there, there's there's a fine minutia of a middle ground there. Yeah, uh, sure. And, I, and who I, knows where it is? <laughs> yeah, well, I would say presidents don't have to or shouldn't be expected to know where that is. Fair, right? they have other fair. things on their minds. Uh, and I think that's up to us as athletic administrators to present it to the president in a way where the president is comfortable that what you're currently doing is safe and is not gonna blow back on the students or on the university or on him. And it's not gonna result in any, anybody getting hurt in any way. And that has to be shared from president to president. I'm the president of the Skyline Conference Executive Committee. I was on the call with the presidents listening to their discussions about COVID and sports and how they're going to get it done. None of them have the wrong idea. None of them are saying athletics isn't important, so let's just get rid of it. They all have the right idea, which is students are important. Are let's sure. keep students safe. And they're not making decisions in a vacuum either. They have the people, the board, and uh, their medical directors, and the state in some instances, helping them with some of the decisions. So I think if we as athletic administrators present the right case to our presidents, and our presidents can present that case to their colleagues, then we're set up for success. I could go down the uh, avenue of this much further and go into the rabbit hole. Uh, I will stop there to save everybody the, the, uh, the idea, but how important is communication in all of this? And, and I, I look back at a tweet that I finally had enough with from the Centennial Conference recently, where in their press release, they basically said something along the lines of, uh, yeah, we're canceled, but um, yeah, we're canceled. They didn't give any information on whether schools could do anything. And, but what I learned was they, they, they didn't want to encourage it. But then you find another conference where like, hey, schools can do what they want or schools are called off. How important for the student athletes, for your fans, for your parents, for whomever, is the communication so key that it can't be this word game fanciness, it's got to be clean. I think communication is always, always key. If you can be transparent and you can be clear, you have to be. And you have to be available because there's going to be follow-up questions and there's going to be uh, people who misunderstand or, or who don't 
get the fine details. And so you have to be available for those things. It's also right now very hard to communicate. You don't want to reach out and say, hey, no fans allowed. Or yes, we're going to have fans because that can change. And even though I think everyone understands it can change, you don't want to give something and take it away. Uh, and, and people are very excited for a season. We've had people reach out to us. They're very excited to see the team play. Hey, what's going to happen? It's hard to say, I don't know. But it's better to say, I don't know. Or it's better to say, hey, bear with us. Or it's better to say, here are the four possible things that can happen and keep everybody on the same level of information and give everybody as much as you can because people can handle the honesty. And people can handle hearing no or hearing something that, they don't want to hear as long as they understand your thinking, why you did it, and you're sharing it with them. And that yeah. goes between the school and the fans. It goes between the NCAA and the schools and, and the fans, the administration, the parents, everybody. Sure. If you can do that and stay out of the silos, right, where you're only communicating information to one set of people, that's what's going to make this season, whatever happens. That's what's going to make this season better for everybody. Let me switch gears again. You talked about how your basketball team, the men's team, stayed uh, or didn't go home um, for Thanksgiving in the hopes of not, for lack of better term, screwing up anything that they were trying to put together. You, Yeshiva is part of a, of a well, I mean, it's got an interesting cacophony here because it's, it's part of an Orthodox community, for lack of a better description, though it is very multi- uh, denominational isn't the right word, but diverse is the, is the proper word. You're also in a region that has been extremely hard hit by this virus. And as you said earlier, the governor is a bit more on the cautious side, a little quick triggered. And I'm not saying that's a, a bad thing. I'm not making a judgment. I'm just saying that's the world you live in. On top of the fact, back to the orthodox side of it, not just with your faith, but with faiths around you in other, in other denominations and stuff, very orthodox. So we're talking about those big famous weddings everyone sees where a ton of people are there and the place is going crazy or funerals that are just blocks long in terms of people who have arrived to, to pay their respects. There's nothing that isn't done that isn't grandiose, isn't full of great, a great passion, but also full of people. How do you balance? with a university and a society and a culture, we need to not do that. You as players, coaches, staff, et cetera, can't do that, but we still want you to be part of your life and we still want you to do all that, but we still also want to have sports. I can't imagine that balancing act. It's certainly not easy. And, and I think in any institution, it's not easy. But I think you also hit the nail on the head. If you are part of a community and, you know, we, we run the gamut of observance levels. So our, our basketball team is made up of people from, from multiple different communities, as is every school. So you need to speak to people. You need to meet people where they are and you need to help them understand why. So I'm not telling you not to go to a wedding or a funeral because I don't want you to go or because I don't believe that it's an important thing, or I don't believe that having more people there makes it more meaningful. Uh, of course, of course it does. 
what I'm doing is I'm saying you are no, you're not only responsible for yourself, you're responsible for your teammates, for your coaches, for your, the opposing players, for the university, for me. You're responsible for me because I'm going to be at those games. And you're part of something larger than yourself. And you know that because student-athletes get that. They know what it's like to be part of something larger than themselves. I would say it's probably easier for a student-athlete to understand that than it might be for somebody in the student body that doesn't participate on a team. And so we just lay it out for them, like I said, with communication. Here's what we're concerned with. We don't want the following eight things to happen. If you go away and you go to this funeral or this wedding, will one of those eight things happen? I don't know, maybe, but why take the chance? So are people doing it? There are certainly people that are, are doing it. And if they go to a wedding, we're gonna quarantine them. We're not gonna take any chances. You go to a wedding, I am sure there are people there without masks. I am sure you were not uh, uh, away from everybody. You were not six feet away from every single person there. There's just no way. You want to do it? That's a value judgment. You are making a personal decision. This is the time to make personal decisions, and this is the time to make mistakes. You don't have a job. You don't have a family. You want to make a mistake? Make a mistake in college. It's also the time for you to understand that there are natural consequences. So I'm going to present it to my student athletes. You want to go away for Thanksgiving? Great. If you go to Texas, you're going to come back and you're going to quarantine for two weeks. I understand that there's different rules in New York State, but these are the rules if you want to participate on the team. Well, again, it goes back to the communication side of that. Do, do you get pushback from, and I'm not necessarily saying student athletes, but you get pushback from others in the university or from others within the faith of saying, come on, this is what we do, and, or, or they don't agree? I don't think there's a single person that could answer no to that question. Fair. Well, that's kind of why I asked it. I figured there was a... <laughs> we, we all know that no matter what decision I make, it's I'm going to be hated by somebody. Half the people, yeah. Right? Yeah. I'm wrong to half the people. Yeah. And you know what? I have children. I'm used to being wrong about things. Uh, <laughs> but again, that, that also is the communication. It, it, you can disagree, Dave, if I make a decision that you disagree with, but I tell you, here's my thinking. Maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong, but this is why I'm telling you not to do it. Uh, we have this open dialogue and you can ask a question. I get that, Joe, but have you considered X? Great point, I changed my mind. Or, yes, I have considered X, I'm still sticking with this decision for the following reasons. It's an open dialogue. I'm not emotionally invested in anything that I'm uh, telling the student athletes or telling the conference or telling the university or the constituency, the greater community. If somebody's got a better idea, I'm going to go with the better idea, right? I, I just want to do the right thing and I just want to provide what I can for the student athletes. And so, yeah, we're making decisions that people don't like. I, I know that. And, you know, I joke with my staff that I'm just lucky that my self-worth is not wrapped up in other people's opinion of me. Fair. Well played. Um, before I let you go, and I appreciate the time, one of the intriguing things I wanted you on for was in the world of Division Three basketball, at least in my opinion, this has started with the Yeshiva. Uh, it was a Hoopsville show live on the air the Thursday before the first round game where we had Elliot Steinmetz on the show talking about how they've been kicked out of a hotel, which to remind people was in the heart 
of a very Jewish community in the Baltimore area. They were kicked out of the hotel because of fears of COVID, because there had been a reported case at Yeshiva, whether it was connected or not. I mean, what information was accurate was, was still being determined. And then the first round and second round games were impacted thusly from there. And, and so it, to some degree, you guys were the pin that started to cause the balloon to, to start to go away from the NCAA tournament. Not blaming you. I'm just saying that was kind of the first pin that would, would eventually pop the balloon. What, what's it, give us a little bit of the sense of the roller coaster, not only for the men's basketball program, um, but for Yeshiva Athletics in general up until now. What an interesting and incredible time, you said roller coaster, to be on the ride yeah. with, with the student athletes. Um, you know, two years earlier was the first time we had made the NCAA tournament in, in the school's history. Now, two years later, we have an incredible team, selfless, wonderful kids, wonderful people and great players. Uh, we sold out all of our playoff tickets in less than three and a half minutes when we put them online. We had you know, ten, literally tens of thousands of people across the globe watching our streamed games. So you had an entire community of people across the world, and this was their pride during that time, which is just an incredible feeling and responsibility. So here we are, we win the conference tournament, everyone is celebrating, we have a full packed gym. Uh, I don't know, somebody did a show somewhere with a selection to the NCAA, I don't remember who it was. Um, and people are cheering, you have a whole gym full of people that are just excited. And we send our kids down and it comes out that there's the, a COVID-19 case, um, nobody's in class with the kid and nobody's been around the kid. But we knew so little. Right. We knew so little. Now, I don't think it would impact anything. Sure. I don't think Johns Hopkins, for example, would, would bat an eyelash right now if it was somebody we just didn't have contact with. But nobody knew. And so here we are. We're down there. The team doesn't know what's going on behind the scenes. The team, I'm not telling the team, hey, there's a chance you might not be able to play. There's a chance you might not be in the hotel. You know, nobody knows what's going on. And so behind the scenes, we are all scrambling all four teams are scrambling to make sure that what we're doing is the right thing for our student athletes we sold out the tickets to to the johns hopkins game and now there's no fans uh, uh not the johns hopkins game i'm sorry at johns hopkins yeah, no, I don't. yeah. And, and there's no fans so now you have to deal with that level of of people being disappointed and as you said it's a very large jewish community there uh we had entire synagogues we had entire uh, schools that we're going to bust people over. We, we tend to travel really well and make away games into home games. Um, and I'm sure people that have seen the broadcasts have, have seen that. Well, and you were entering a huge Jewish community in the Baltimore area. The, the committee knew this. <laughs> I, I, I would hope so. Yeah. yeah. We didn't end up in Fargo. No, no, you were per there on purpose. <laughs> so now you have everybody excited. And, you know, the NCAA was great. They changed the game for us to make sure that our kids wouldn't have any problems with religious observances. But then the Friday game has to be pushed off. Yeah. And now it's getting later and later and later. And are we going to be able to play? 
what if this game goes into overtime? Now, I don't want that in the minds of the student athletes, but I have to talk to the coach about it. I have to talk to the staff. I have to go back to the university and say, listen, I know the answer. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. These kids have to be back in the hotel in time to shower and get dressed and be ready for prayers when the Sabbath starts, right? I know that there's no dispensations here. Um, I just want you to know that if we can't do it, I'm going to pull the trigger on that and say, that's it. We just can't do it. And if that means they can't finish the game, that is horrible. But it's a decision that would rest on my shoulders that I'd, I'd have to make. But again, we're not telling the student athletes about that. They win this game. It's incredible. They go, they spend the entire Sabbath doing what they normally do. And they can't, they can't prepare for the next game, which is, might be interesting to uh, the listeners. So as soon as the Sabbath starts, they're not yeah. reviewing tape. They're not practicing. There's no chalk talk. There's no, hey, look out for number 32. He's their shooter. Right. None of that talk. When the Sabbath ends, now the coach is on the bus with them going to the gym. Right. The scouting report. Here's five minutes. Oh, by the way. Yeah. Now go out and warm up. Yeah. So the, the, uh, the next game also just incredible. Not having fans was surreal. You yeah. were in the gym, Dave. You, knew, you know. Uh, after an incredible play, you're listening, and it's not there. There's no noise. Um, I, I get energized by, by the crowd. Absolutely. When I'm playing and when I'm taking pictures, when I'm just in the, in the gym, I get energized by the crowd. I don't know how either team does it. It's an incredible play. It's an and one. You fall to the floor. Your teammates pick you up. Where's that crowd noise? Very surreal. The hotel situation, again, we didn't know, what, we didn't know then what we know now. I don't think the hotel would have made the same decision now nope. that they made then. But thank God. Thank God for the other hotel. For the intercontinental, Lord. I believe, sir, in downtown the Lord, Baltimore. The Lord Baltimore. Lord Baltimore, right. Yeah, Lord Old Baltimore. intercontinental. They were I'm, angels. They were a godsend. I, I, you know, I, I don't have any rules preventing me from uh, telling people to go use them. This is the federal <laughs> government. Pay them back, people. I mean, they took us in. They helped us. Last minute, I mean, we needed a place to pray. We needed a place to eat. We needed a place for the caterer. Has to be kosher food. Has to be a different set of ovens, different warmers, different everything. It's, it's not easy. And they were just incredible. And now what do you do when you win both games and you go into the next round? Cases are starting to go up in New York. Uh, are you going to bring the kids back to campus? Are you going to send the kids to a place that doesn't have cases to make sure that they stay safe? Tests aren't available at that point. Um, masks aren't even available. Masks, yeah. Nobody, you know, all the masks were being reserved for healthcare workers. Uh, and nobody was going to come out and say, well, you guys should be wearing masks because, that, you know, the frontline workers needed them. So what do you do there? Who makes that final decision? So, and again, I'm not telling the student athletes. They don't need to know any of this. And so it's rare that we're making decisions without their input. but. I don't want them worrying about it. They need to worry about the next week of school and succeeding in their classes and succeeding in the next round. The really hard part, the really hard part, and I'm sure that everyone can understand this, is we were, we were in Virginia. We were down there. Yeah, you guys had just arrived, I believe, yeah. was the story they, I remember. They were 15 minutes out, and it was called off. 
And I'm on the phone with Elliot, with Coach Steinmetz, saying, what do we do? We're not going to turn them around. I'm not going to send them on that trip back up. So what do we do with the, all the food that we catered? Right? We, it's not, we can't just send them to McDonald's on the way. I mean, you're talking thousands of dollars of a caterer preparing and, and being ready. Now what do you do with that stuff? Who's going to inform the, the, the student athletes? Is it going to be Elliot? Is it going to be me? You know, who's it better coming from? Who, it's all of these decisions need to be made. And now you have these kids that are on a high, an experience that very few people get to have, right? I mean, literally 16 Division three programs get to have. Mm, true. Uh, and a school first, a first for all of these student athletes. And now you get to tell them that you're pulling the rug out. Nobody likes to have difficult conversations, but it's even worse when you have a difficult conversation with an adolescent who's you know, 18 yeah. to 22, who may never have this opportunity again, who people are picking to potentially be a national champion, who have an entire worldwide community paying attention and cheering them on and excited and talking about them. There's articles in every language out there in all the newspapers uh, you know, from different perspectives. Hey, you know, don't tell us Jews can't play basketball. Look at Yeshiva University. Uh, to look at the five starters on the university's team, all wearing yarmulkes when they get out there. These are kids that value both their observance sure. and their religion and their sport and their collegiate uh, classes. It was like nothing else in the world. It was like nothing else in the world. And, and I don't know that anyone could have been prepared for that. But our kids, I mean, to a person, they were unbelievable. They didn't like it. And I'm sure that sitting on the bus ride home from Virginia was a very quiet bus ride, I'm sure. But I think that it's like what Michael Jordan used to read, the negative press about him yeah. uh, in order to psych him up and to get him ready to play. I think these guys are ready to go. I think they want to prove it was not a fluke. Let me ask you this before, as we let you go, final, basically final question. We've talked about all the challenges. You talk about the testing. You talk about all the decisions you have to make. And now we finished talking about how great this team was, which is a boost to the entire other athletic department. And while certainly what Elliot's built and what you guys all hope is that this will be for long term, you also at this moment have something in the bottle. And I know you don't want to lose it. I ask this in all respect. Do you weigh the decisions you make or the, or the plans you put together? Do you ever have that little bird in the back of your head that's, or that's either pushing you to do something to keep things alive because you have this moment? Or do you have something even being cautious going, hey, watch it, you don't want to ruin it? Like you guys, I, I was talking to Elliot on a text, you have had this opportunity and it, it stinks that COVID has derailed everything and you're not going to be able to keep everybody around for varying reasons. They may come back. I'm not going to get into that. But do you worry that decisions you're making are only to try and keep that hope alive? Does, 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 do you understand what I'm getting at? Or do, you, or do you get yourself caught in moments where you're not sure if you're making it for that reason or the, or the, or the best decision possible? I'm not trying to say you're not making them. I don't know all your decisions. I'm just trying. I'm curious where, 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 where you come with that mentality. So when you ask, do you worry that your decisions? Yes. <laughs> well, fair. That's just how it goes. Do, fair. do you worry your decisions? Yes. 
I think I'd be lying if I said that one of the reasons I wanted to have a season wasn't because of how good the team is. Sure. However, we have three other teams that are winter teams that are at the moment not yet on the level of the men's basketball team. And I'm pushing just as hard for them to compete. If men's basketball went away for some reason, I would still be pushing for the women's team to, to play. And if both basketballs went away, I'd be pushing for the fencing teams to compete. It's also about my responsibilities to the student athletes. They get, you know, three or four years to do this. And there's never another time that they can do that. And that's, it's really honestly a a responsibility I take very seriously. Not everybody came to Yeshiva University to play uh, on a team, but a lot of them did. And I want to make sure that I'm giving them the most and the best that I can give them. And if I'm not doing that, then I'm in the wrong line of business. So does it play into my mind? Absolutely. It absolutely does. Will it trump health and safety? Not a chance. Will it trump uh, their academics? Not a chance. But to, to say that I'm ignoring it would be a lie. Uh, of course you want them to play because of the level of play that they're exhibiting. And I'd love to see them national champions. And I'd, I'd love to see them continue to be for the next 20 years. But it's a great question. So anyone that tells you no, I think, is not being truthful with themselves. But it's certainly not the only thing. It's like everything else that you do and I do and all the other athletic administrators do. You're making decisions based on 100 different factors and changing the weight of those factors by the minute. Well, I appreciate the time, sir. Uh, a great chat, a great in-depth understanding of, of, of an administrative point of view in general, but obviously a more complex one at Yeshiva. And um, I have, I, again, I appreciate your time and uh, to join us with this. As always, we give our guests the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuned in? So I hate to be redundant because every time that I listen to your show, everyone's final word is exactly the same. So I'm going to do it anyway. And I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to thank you for everything that you do to promote Division Three in general, to promote the efforts of our basketball men and women, to defend those efforts and to defend division three to the people that either intentionally or unintentionally don't count us into athletics across the country. Athletics doesn't just mean division one. It means two and three and NAIA. And I know that the student athletes at YU can, are, are like none other in the world with the responsibilities and the obligations and, and the observances and to have somebody champion us not specifically us but also us is incredible and we we truly are lucky to have somebody like you in that position so i from the bottom of my heart i appreciate it dave well thank you awfully kind words as i say often not the purpose of the last word necessarily but i thank you nonetheless uh enjoy the holidays thank you very much uh we're taping this ahead of time so by the time it airs it's probably over but happy hanukkah nonetheless Take care of yourselves. We'll look forward to talking to you guys down the road whenever that allows. Thank you, Dave. Stay safe and stay sane.
Well, the second part, especially. He is Joe Bednar joining us from Yeshiva as athletics director here on the Hoopsville Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline. Once again, a terrific conversation there with Joe Bednar. I appreciate his time from Yeshiva. They're continuing to play, as we mentioned in the first segment. They're part of the opening four, uh, or the early four in the Skyline Conference, which had been seven. They are now looking for games. They, they hope to hold the four together to have something of a conference uh, AQ and whatnot, but now they're looking to see if they can find other opponents for more games in, in the hopes of still being in the NCAA tournament. I think what's interesting here is you have an institution and a school that have men's basketball absolutely at its very best and in the national conversation and a chance at a national title. It got pulled out from under them last year. It looks like it could get pulled out from them now. How many of these students come back next year? How many? Can they keep this team together for another year or two? And I mean the current talent. I think they will continue to get talent, what Elliot Steinmetz has put together there. But can can they keep this magic in a bottle in the bottle? Or is it going to slip out because of COVID, which would be a horrible, um, unfortunate, historical impact that yeshiva finally got to where they wanted to be elliot's work had finally gotten them there and a darn pandemic costs them the opportunity to fulfill or at least get to where they wanted to be we'll see how it all impacts maybe they come back just as strong next year there are some tough decisions student athletes have to make at every institution and they're not easy even when you think they're easy and so We'll keep an eye on Yeshiva. Again, I appreciate Joe coming on and really going in-depth there, uh, more in-depth than I expected. I appreciate chatting with him. Uh, always a good chat when I get the opportunity, and we appreciate it putting it on tape, as it were, for all of you. When we come back, we'll switch gears and go to Amherst. Amherst, again, was kind of at the forefront of everything. Like Hopkins, they decided to close their doors. We'll talk to their athletics director about the decisions that they have had to make in the last what, nine months, and really why they've gone in a different direction. You listen to Hoops Hope, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More Hoops Hope after this. For the love of the game, but for those of us who are Division Three student-athletes, it's more than that, a lot more. Sure, the game is important, but as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics. And in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. Football has taught me a lot throughout my life. It's definitely had a huge imprint on who I am as a person. Competing at a Division III level created that opportunity for me to go to college. Not only was I the first one in my family to graduate college, but I was really the first one to even go. Being the first one, I'm breaking that cycle, and, and now that I've graduated, I'm not sure what's the next step, but I know I have a lot of doors open. And a lot of those are open because I played football and ran track here at Otterbein. I learned a lot of valuable lessons playing college football. 
I never thought about the health benefits of exercise until I actually started to talk to coaches in college. It's not only just for performance, it's for life. My coaches instilled the importance of well-being, not only building up strength, mental health, getting enough sleep, eating properly, it's all what it is to be healthy. I decided that I want to go into personal trainer and share my knowledge that I obtained in college about physical and mental well-being. Welcome back to Hoops. So presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA NABC studios, also with our partners at Blue Frame Technology. We'll talk about all of those a little bit later, including all of you. Uh, I am your host, Dave McHugh, and now we're talking to a school that has decided to not have winter sports, and they decided quite a while ago to do so. It's Amherst College. Remember, Amherst was the one who shut their doors 90 minutes about before the first game of the first round for similar reasons to Johns Hopkins, and that was coronavirus concerns. They also ended up closing their doors um, for the second weekend as well, right after being uh, given the chance to host. Those were tough decisions, certainly, and, and we all had uh, raised questions about the, the, the possibilities and opportunities and what else could happen, blah, blah, blah. But what I really want to get to in our next conversation was what kind of decisions has Amherst had to make moving forward with the coronavirus and the difficulties of, that, of those decisions, including calling off fall and winter sports, and maybe a tough decision to come with spring sports. I uh, sat down with the athletics director, Don Falstick, to talk about all of those. And another kind of oppositeness with Yeshiva, Amherst is one who's synonymous, especially the rest of the NESCAC, with championship programs, national and conference, certainly regional powers, whereas Yeshiva's you know, still breaking in a little bit. And so we get the idea of these decisions from that perspective of knowing that there are some really good student athletes on one's campus. Now joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline from Amherst, he is the athletics director there, it is Don Falstick. Sir, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Oh, thank you, Dave. It's great. To, I really appreciate being on. Uh, I'm, I'm surprised GP Gromacki or, or anybody else, even Dave Hickson, isn't knocking your door down trying to explain that they're supposed to be on the show. Well, I can't guarantee. I mean, I know those guys do a really great job, and uh, I can't guarantee I'll do as good a job on this on your show as they would, but I'll give it a shot. <laughs> well, thank you. GP and I have a running joke about that. We'll get back to you some other day. Um, again, I appreciate you coming on because, as we talked about earlier and, and we alluded to with the Yeshiva interview, really a lot of the COVID story began with three schools, essentially, in Division Three, in the basketball sense, it was Yeshiva and Johns Hopkins together with Hopkins' decision. It was, and it was Amherst with the decisions on the opening weekend and then eventually the second weekend, which we obviously didn't play. Not that that's what we want to dive into, but it kind of gives us a nice kind of button on things to then look at where we are now. I'm curious what it's been like briefly from mid-March until now from your vantage point. Yeah, I mean, it's been uh... – you know, it, it's been really challenging. You know, it's been really challenging, not only for for us, you know, as a as a school. Like I think all our, you know, everyone's going through it. But you know, I just feel really bad for our students. You know, and everybody's students. And, um, those are the folks that, you know, especially the seniors who put a lot of, you know, time and energy, blood, sweat, and tears, so to speak, and into their sport and. 
um, really wanted this to be part of their academic, you know, academic experience and educational experience. And so to have to have those students miss out on on that opportunity, um, you know, makes me sad. And uh, that's, you know, it's really unfortunate. It certainly has been a challenge. Later on, I wouldn't mind talking on a grander scope than basketball about the significance of those of those decisions for athletes at Amherst and the NESCAC. But on a little bit more of a narrower scope, you guys decided to call off both the fall sports and now the winter sports early on. You and the conference, and I'm saying that generically, made the decision as pretty much the first in both scenarios – You've been ahead of the curve, kind of like the Ivy League in Division One. Why so early on, and and why not wait maybe a few more months just to see, to dip your toe in the water, as it were? Yeah, I think. Well, first off, I mean, I, I think we get, you know, we have we have from phenomenal leadership, you know, at Amherst, with you know, starting with our president Betty Martin, um, the provost, and uh, Catherine Epstein, and so. Um, just having those conversations and, and, and having access to, to hearing what maybe the prognosis was for what, what the virus was going to be like and what was going to happen. And so um, I think it was our, you know, I think it was our, you know, indication that things were going to, you know, be pretty bad um, going into the fall and, and, and people are going to be at risk. And so um, we, we just kind of just said, you know, you know, we're going to be, you know, we're going to pull the plug on, on, on the, on the sports. I think the other thing for us specifically came down to, we were also going to limit who was going to come on campus. So we only allowed uh, first years um, and sophomores back. And then those seniors who were working in a lab or doing their thesis. So we were going to be in a bubble, which meant that students, if they chose to come back, had to stay on campus um, and couldn't leave. And so if we were in that situation um, and we weren't allowing anybody else to leave campus or come on to campus, it was going to be really hard for us to say, yeah, but we'll, do, we'll, we'll make an exception for athletics. So um, it was just the right thing for us to do. Whenever the words exception for athletics come into a sentence, it's usually a bad sign in Division Three, or, or really the all of the NCAA, but obviously in Division Three. Uh, I said back in the summer, and I've said it often that some people may get tired of hearing it. I said if Bowden and the NESCAC, because Bowden was the first school to, to pull the rug out, if either of them are, are, are right when we get to November, December, January, and that was the smart decision to make, then shame on us because we as a society haven't gotten this under control, and it clearly was heading in the wrong direction. If they got it wrong, so be it. But congratulations to us because we figured it out. It wasn't a knock at everybody. It was just a barometer we could use. Unfortunately, at this point, at this juncture, you guys have been right. I know you don't want to take credit for that. That's certainly not what I'm getting at. But does it make you feel maybe a little bit better that a decision that far in advance both times at least is, is been the right decision that you don't look back in hindsight, with regret. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's. I think you're right. I don't want to take credit for you know for you know for doing that or um, certainly not something that was was great. I, I just think that we made the best decision for us, 
And, you know, there's a lot of factors that other schools had to take into consideration. And we just, we just felt that um, making sure that um, we were trying to keep our community safe and that we had enough beds for quarantine. Um, I think the other thing too, in a, in a small town for us is having, the, having UMass right there, you know, so having UMass here and them not having a bubble type of situation um, just caused some other concerns for us and, you know, in our student population. So um, yeah, I wish we were, you know, I, I shouldn't say I wish we were wrong, but um, I'm, I'm glad we made the decisions where, where we did. And I think it took a lot of pressure off some of the, the kids to, to know, at least coming into it, that, listen, you know, this is highly unlikely and make your decisions on, on your academic career that, that, that's to suit you, you, and, and not, not, don't use sports as a, as a reasoning, just do the best you can trying to come to a decision with your family. You, you've mentioned a couple of the challenges you face. You weren't going to have enough students on campus. And obviously if you don't have enough, you can't have teams necessarily, or as you said, you can't travel. You talked about the fact, yes, UMass, Amherst, the main UMass campus, known as Mass Amherst's campus, is, geez, just around the corner from you guys, along with some other campuses. So there's a there's an impact on that community and the hospitals in the area. What other challenges, though, did you guys see as an institution that you just didn't think you could get over or were just not willing to take a risk on? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, I think the our leadership and the experts that they were talking to just kind of felt that um, how things were going to be transmitted and, you know, all, all the other different factors into it. Right. I mean, there's, it's, it was all the unknowns. And then you go back and you say, well, should we have made a different decision? You know, knowing that we're going to put kids at risk or um, put staff and faculty at risk, and, and who they're going to be around. So um, I think the other piece to it is, right, is around not only what you are doing, but what are other schools doing? And did they meet, not, not, not our standard, but did, you know, did they have like situations and were they testing the same way? And, um, you know, were they, well, who was able to come on campus and who was exposed and, you know, bus drivers, officials, fans, the whole thing. And so there was just a lot. There's just a, when you think about how many people it takes just to do a game, um, it's a ton. And just trying to eliminate those factors and, and kind of seeing how it worked out. I was going to say other parts of the conversation, testing, uh, who you're testing, who who's going to be involved with things, even if you uh, pare things down, as it were, and, and use a, a skeleton crew, you still have to figure out all of those elements. Did you... I know the, the, the bar on testing's moved a little bit with the NCAA, but were you a, 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 ever able to, to see a point where, you know what, we could make that work, or was it daunting from the get-go and, and hasn't become any better? Well, I think it was pretty clear early on. Well, the NCAA, you know, I think the NCAA was moving in, you know, trying to do the best they could too and kept putting out, you know, different guidelines and different suggestions there. Um, and so it was kind of a moving target, right? And, and you know, of what and how it was going to play out and what you would be able to do. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, 
you know, I, I think it was just it was just really challenging in general, but um, we were just trying to make the best decision for, you know, for our students and our community, you know. You know, when it came to the fall sports, the whole conference made the decision for the most part all at once. When it's come to the winter sports, the schools are are able to make decisions on their own. Most of the conference has called it off. There's a handful who have not. Um, how did was the decision ever going to be different for Amherst walking into the winter, despite what the conference was maybe leaning, or did was it much like the fall? you guys were kind of going hand in and hand in hand with the, the conference and the rest of your mates. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, um, I, I think it was a good decision to, to at least take that off the table to say, Hey, listen, regard, depending on your state and the regulations and the travel, things like that, if, if the schools in Maine were able to play uh, for whatever reason, um, we would support that. And I think having, you know, I think having our league, um, knowing that, hey, listen, you know, we're, we're not going to be selfish if we can't, you know, just because we might not be able to play, someone else couldn't play. There was never any of that. And so I think they did a really good job of saying, listen, schools have somewhat autonomy to, to be able to do it. But take off the, take off the pressure of you're, you're going to do a league schedule and there might be, a, there might be an, um, you know, a championship where people had to go overnight and things like that. So um, for us, for us, we were going to make the best decision for Amherst. Um, and again, I think like this issue, even across the country is different people feel differently about it. Um, we were always just going to be real cautious, you know, and, um, and so even if the conference would have said, hey, listen, we're going to try to do this or we think these group of schools, we still might have came out in the same decision. Um, and, you know, it, it's worked so far. You're now heading into the second go around when it comes to spring sports. Yes, the winter sports had a bit of its tail cut off at the end, but spring lost pretty much its entirety, especially for New England schools where getting out onto fields in March is nearly impossible. I know no decisions have necessarily made – been made. I don't want to put any thoughts in anybody's minds, but I'm sure you're trying to make sure to give those spring athletes a chance. Does that add more pressure to it? That the fact that you're now talking about student athletes who already lost an entire season have now come back up and could potentially lose yet another season. Is that added more pressure and more relevance and maybe change the conversations? Um, it's definitely put more pressure on, on, I know the coaches and, you know, ADs at, at, in our conference around, um, and, and here just, you know, to have, to have your seniors or anybody, you know, miss two seasons, um, of your sport, um, you know, and a lot of, it, it obviously is devastating to a lot of, you know, to a lot of kids and, and families who spend a lot of time and effort and follow these students, and supported them all along. So I think that there's, there is um, that pressure that we're, we're fighting to do the, you know, to do all the things that we can. Um, but I, I, you know, I think it's still really hard. I mean, some of the things that we've talked about here is, you know, we, it's, it's always been promise less, deliver more, you know, mm -hmm. and um, 
I think that's what we're trying to do um, here. But again, we're going into the spring. We're going to be in we're going to be in another bubble situation. So our campus is going to be um, our students are going to be restricted, and so I think that just puts more pressure on you know our our kids of deciding whether or not they want to come back and, and follow those guidelines and what the season looks like. Um, but yeah, I mean, if I you know I, I think it'd be really hard for Amherst and our league to have a really robust competitive season um, in general. But, you know, I guess I'm trying to stay optimistic as possible to say, you know, if, if people at the end of the, at the end of the spring, you know, could you play tennis and golf and maybe some of the other sports? I don't think it has to be an all, you know, everybody's together, you know, all, you're treating all sports the same, but, you know, I think it's going to be really challenging. But again, I'm just trying to stay optimistic, with but reasonable that. Listen, if 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 we could end up getting a couple games in at the end of the spring this year, I think it'd be awesome. You know, the dynamic here, not that everything is about championships, but the NESCAC, for the most part, is and the Amherst, of course, is synonymous at the top of most sports. They're going for national championships or they're in the national conversation or the, you, because you have really good student athletes who are very talented, not only in the classroom, but on the fields and courts well, as well. And you've got very good coaches. How much, I mean, the decision for Amherst and the division, decision by the NESCAC to not participate is, is huge. There isn't a championship I go to. The NESCAC isn't in the conversation. That's, but as a result, you're now taking huge opportunities away from those students, that, that's got to be heartbreaking for programs that, that are synonymous for winning titles. Yeah, I, I, I think it is. You know, I, I, definitely, I definitely think it is um, just because, you know, throughout NESCAP, right? I mean, there's, we, we've been well represented in a, in a lot of sports. and We've been lucky, too, to, to be, you know, in, in that conversation. But, um, you know, I, I think it really shows, though, what, what the most important thing is about, about this league and what we believe. And um, it's an academic, academic experience first. And sports are a part of that academic experience. But um, making decisions around ac the academic, you know, academic goals and um, the academic mission of every college in our league really comes first. And while we're certainly disappointed that we, we can't do that, um, there's probably a lot of other schools out there that are, uh, you know, pretty happy that we're not. Yes, fair point. Some people see the door open as a result. Maybe that's why they're pushing to try and play and have <laughs> national. I don't blame them. I don't blame them. No, I don't blame them either. Honestly, I'm curious. Backing up a little bit, a couple more questions. Um, how, how did you all communicate with your students on a what you were hoping to accomplish, especially when maybe they're not available for you like they normally are? and what you ultimately decided for the fall for the fall winter for everything how, yeah. how is that whole so, process i mean there? so one of the things that we um that, that you know whether it was a good job or not a good job but one of the things that we did was that again i think we were our, the, the bar was really low right i mean we had canceled spring sports and so going into the going into the fall there wasn't a there was some optimism but we kept the expectations really low to, and coaches were 
you know, I was constantly, you know, talking to coaches um, and, and, and engaging with SAC and other student groups um, and just saying, this is what it's going to look like. This is, this is what you might be able to expect. Think about it. I don't think any, for us, I don't think anybody was, I don't think anybody was really um, shocked by the decisions, at least internally, by what we did. I think for the most part, it was just a lot of disappointment, but just keeping the communication um, from me to the coaches and from, um, you know, and then me to certain student groups and, and whatnot, I just, I think really helped us um, come, you know, really set the table for, for bad news or it would have been, if it would have been good news, then, you know, that, that would have been awesome too. But um, our coaches did an amazing job with that. I'm also curious for the student athletes, have you guys tried to put anything in place to help them deal with those decisions that have been made and maybe even more because Amherst is the type of institution that it is, help them to try and decide if coming back's the right choice or yeah. not to come back? That's a great question, uh, Dave. You know, and um, I think what we, again, this is where our coaches did a really good job because um, there's a lot, there's a lot of questions like, should I come back? How can I use my eligibility? You know, all these other things. And basically what we said is that, you know, there, that this needs to be a, a personal decision that you need to talk to your family about. Um, and this should really be about what you want your academic and your, your, your college career to look like. And if you felt like taking a semester off is the best thing. And that was a really part of your decision. Hey, super, we're going to support you. Um, if you decide to come uh, to campus and, you know, be a part of what we were doing here, we were going to try to make it the best experience we possibly could. So um, I, I, I think the coaches, we, we've got a great group. And I think that was um, – our coaches didn't want to be in that situation, although they wanted to be competitive. And there's always the what ifs, like, what if, you know, these kids came back or took a gap year and so forth. But um, at the end of the day, um, a lot of it was just talking. Our kids are, you know, our students first. And they made the decisions based on their, you know, the academics. Um, I think the fall athletes had a little bit more of an advantage in the winter athletes just because, you know, you take a semester off in the, in the fall, um, you know, it doesn't put you back that far enough. I mean, at the winter sports and the spring sports, you know, you're thinking about, would you take a full year off? I mean, man, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know about those decisions, but um, it was just really, I, 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 I'm, I feel for those kids because I, I really know that they're really hard decisions. Um, and being with their teammates and, and, and being with their coaches is just a really, really valuable experience a college experience and certainly part of the educational mission, but not the most important part. I I don't want the details necessarily because I'm sure you wouldn't want to give them out and, and without naming names, but have you had students who decided to, to take the time off and return at a later time? Yeah. So um, yeah, we have, you know, and again, I think, I think it stems from, um, I think it sends a lot of, of what, what our students are able to do on campus, hmm. right? And so um, we're in a bubble scenario and we're, you can't meet with, you know, <laughs> groups larger than 10 and, 
And so you think about, um, a, you know, what, what does the classroom situation look like? And are they hybrid? Now, we were lucky. We, um, we had a ton of professors who, you know, really, you know, taught in person on campus and were really engaged and had office hours. And so the academic experience there for the kids that were here was really, really, you know, was really positive. But, you know, the academic piece is the most important, but it's not the, the only thing, right? And so um, I think kids were making decisions on, yeah, hey, you know, I don't know if I want to do that. I, I think I think I can take a semester off, maybe do something, take a time off, the, um, and then come back and really have a really great senior year or another a junior year or whatnot. Um, our first years, for the most part, came back to campus and um, they didn't know any better, right? They're just probably right. happy to get out of the house and leave mom and dad and get to <laughs> college or whatever that looked like. Um, and so, you know, but the other students who actually know what, you know, these colleges do and how much, you know, the, the co-curricular activities, extracurricular activities um, mean and, and really a small school, um, they made some decisions to say, listen, I don't know. I'll, I'll wait. I'll sit this one out and come back when things are going to be, um, you know, kind of back to normal. I'm sure there's lots more we could ask and talk about to give us insight into all this. Um, but I appreciate the insight and the knowledge that you gave us to understand Amherst and, and NESCAC and where you've all been through all of this. Obviously, a road nobody has taken before, and hopefully we won't have to take anytime soon. Before I let you go, though, I do have a very important question. I know that's been plaguing Division Three for a little bit of time that we just haven't quite gotten an understanding of. You guys had to change your mascot uh, in the last few years. We're very interested why Hamsters was taken off the list. We, we all loved it so much. Yeah, no, I mean, I think a lot of our, uh, I think a lot of our rivals would have loved us to be the Hamsters or <laughs> something, you know, something like that. Um, well, just a nice play of the word Amherst. It just yeah, I mean, so nice. hey, you know, we got a lot of smart people around here. And <laughs> right. Sometimes, sometimes too smart for their too own good. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that wasn't my vote. And, uh, you know, I'm glad that uh, – I'm glad we're – I'm glad we're the mammoths. I, I will say the NESCAC has one thing going for it that's very unique versus what we've already discussed, and that's in, there are some very interesting mascots throughout the conference. There, there's very unique names. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's kind of cool to see. And when we were, went through the mascot, um, you know, looking at what we wanted to do, we knew we were going to change, but we were looking at, okay, what, 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 what are we going to do? Like, who, who are we going to be? Yeah. Um, it, was really, it was really cool to really look at some of the really unique names um, that, that, that some of the, place, the places had. Um, but, yeah, no, it, I agree. I, I did find the process fascinating. I just thought the, the hamsters were such a perfect little little cherry on top. But I, it's okay. Don't worry. We're not holding it against you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, sir, I really appreciate the time. As always, we give the guests the final word. Any final thoughts you'd like to share with those tuned in? Oh, I, I just, uh, again, Dave, I just really appreciate you having me on and, and uh, um, appreciate all you do for, for the basketball community and uh, um you know, I, I know how much you mean to and, and what this show has meant to our basketball coaches specifically. And so we just really thank you for doing what you do. Well, thank you. Appreciate the kind words. Nice to chat with you. Take care of yourselves. Look forward to either catching you on the basketball court or maybe a soccer field or a lacrosse field or somewhere down the road. We'll anywhere. Anywhere. Exactly. Wherever we can run into whatever, each other. Yeah, whatever's open. Let's go. Here we go. Take care of yourself. We'll talk soon.
Take care. He is Don Falstick joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline. Really interesting conversation there with Don Falstick of the Athletics Director of Amherst College. Really appreciate his perspective. Uh, again, he talked about a lot of things that a lot of institutions have to weigh. The local impact that their institution is making on COVID numbers, on hospitalizations, other institutions in their area. The big UMass campus is in the same town amongst other schools in the, in the area. And so these decisions are certainly not easy. And even if they're made early, they aren't easy. And he even talked about the resources that are put in place or, or the efforts trying to be made to help student athletes and other students with what are very difficult times. And I appreciate the insight that he gave us as well. Again, from a different perspective of one that is synonymously successful and has some of the best probably athletes in Division Three. And, and there's a lot of schools that can say that, but consistently, the NESCAC certainly has that, and Amherst has proven that. We'll see how it all plays out for the student-athletes at those institutions, and whether they can even afford or want to pay more money to come back for more time. I think it also depends on the team. Uh, sometimes team dynamics play a big role for that. So again, I appreciate the, uh, the conversation with Don Falstick. When we come back, I will chat with Pat Coleman, about the impacts of COVID on the D3 Sports Network. It has had a huge impact on the websites, and we're asking for your help. Pat explains why. Coming up. My name is Marcus Walker. I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I played because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. This is why we love sports. It's in the way they play, free from the pressures and all the money talk. Playing for simply the love of the game, where everyone has a shot at their definition of success on and off the field. This is what we love about sports and what we can still love about college sports. Welcome for the back love to the Hoopsville of the game. podcast, the third of this but for week, those of us season. who are Division three an extensively athletes, long one, it's more than I appreciate that. you taking a the time to be listening sure. to all this. The game is important, is important to say as we work so hard. To now we're going to talk about the other impacts of the coronavirus in Division three. That is, and that is why is to NCAA Division III teamed up with special. We have started a campaign to fundraise for the websites. A little different than the campaign to fundraise for Hoopsville, which I'll explain later. Help us keep that the impact of Division three not playing sports especially big ones like football and so far basketball has had a ginormous impact on what we do as a group of websites at of course d3sports.com is the umbrella for d3 football d3 hoops and d3 baseball so i decided we needed to hear from pat coleman about the impact and he sat down to chat with me about the decision to fundraise and why we or, or how we've gotten here in 20 years. Now joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline, it is the uh, editor-in-chief and guru and whatever you would like to call, Pat Coleman of D3Sports.com, which of course the family of football hoops and baseball. Pat, uh, 
first, uh, you and I can actually see each other. It's nice to see you, sir, but it's, this is surreal. Usually you and I are neck deep dealing with something, whether it's hoops or basketball related right now, and we're not. Yeah, or football, right? Uh, yeah. This prime football. I, I have a reminder on my calendar that, uh, you know, as of the day we're recording this, uh, eight days from now would be Stag Bowl 48. So uh, it has been obviously a completely different fall, following a completely different summer, following a completely different spring, following a completely different third week of March, and for that matter, the second week of March. So uh, here we are in uh, week 39, I kind of have, uh, I almost have like notches on my, uh, on my wall here to remind me how many weeks I've been doing my day job from my basement. And uh, yeah, it's been, it's been an adventure. It has. Uh, by the time this probably is released to the public, it will probably be Stag Bowl weekend. Um, as surreal as that is. And quick side note, 1st December, I'm not doing anything in a very long time. And, and, and that kind of gets us to the point, as I said in my spiel coming into this, Pat, you know, we rely on page views as a website, as a group, because, well, that's how advertising works. We're not overt with it like some. Oh, my goodness, we don't need to get into that. But as a result, give us a little bit. It's on the front page of all the sites. We're asking for help in a way um, that the sites have never done so. Without going into the logistics, we've been talking about this for a while just in a general term, but it's a bit of an emergency, is it not? Uh, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Uh, when you think about, you know, people come to our websites for a lot of things, but basically for general day-to-day -day news about what's going on during the season. And, you know, when you have on d3hoops.com 800-plus pages of team-by-team -team schedules and, uh, you know, two daily schedules and, you know, live stats that are often embedded in the site and all sorts of things, you know, game day – uh, for basketball and also game day for football. We've missed uh, 14 of those so far. Generate a tremendous number of page views and, and page views equates to the revenue that comes in to the website. Uh, you know, for people who follow football closely with us, we also didn't have a, a, a preview uh, kickoff edition for 2020, uh, which is another way that we raise revenue that is like a uh, subscription only kind of gated content is now the term that people use. <laughs> Um, you know, that, uh, that people pay for. And that's a, a good revenue driver for us as well. But basically, um, you know, 93% of the traffic went away starting about March 12th or thereabouts. And, you know, with it about 93% of the uh, revenue. Now, obviously, right, we're not traveling to games either uh, and, and that sort of thing. So there are a lot of things that we're not uh, paying for. Um, but there are a lot of things that don't turn off, right? The, uh, the web server service doesn't turn off, and we pay that not only for running D3 hoops, D3 football, D3 baseball, D3 sports, but also separately for D3 boards and for the football podcast and that sort of thing. So there's, you know, some of those costs can't be removed. We still have to pay for all of the domain names. I actually let some domain names go. Um, so if you want diiicommunity.org, I believe that's out there now. I think that's one of the ones that, uh, that got uh, let go into the ether. So go ahead and snap that up if you, uh, if you want. It might be gone. I might go steal it. I, totally <laughs> yeah, the time, I think this is like a, like a network show, right? If somebody says the name of a domain on the air, they have to go snag it before the show actually airs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, we've cut as many costs as we can, uh, but reality is something still costs money but the nice thing is that uh, people are helping us out yeah i 
you know, we've talked on this show that there's expenses related to this show and, and what I've done and, and, you know, and whatnot in our fundraising efforts in the, in the past few years. And there's always expenses. People don't realize there's always expenses to these things. 93% Pat is a huge number. I was ready for you to drop a huge number on us when we were talking about this, but when you dropped 93, admittedly my jaw dropped because I was ready for you to say 60, 70, yeah, maybe 80%. 93 is nearly all of it. And that takes a toll. So what led, I mean, if you want to talk a little bit of the insideness of this, what led to making the move, not only to, to, to ask for help, because I know that's a difficult question to ask. I've been through that myself, but how you're asking for it. Yeah. Great question. And you know, Dave, if it had been 60 or 70%, I don't think we would have been having this conversation because we could get by on 30% of our original budget or something like that. Just can't get by on seven in any uh, way, shape, or form. Uh, so yeah, we've gone to, uh, and we have talked about this off and on for a long time. And even, you know, 20 years ago, literally 20 years ago, uh, that's not an exaggeration. It was actually 2000. You know, if you people remember that far back uh, and know about the when the tech bubble popped and, you know, all the bottom fell out of online advertising back then, um, you know, we were a much smaller organization with a much smaller footprint. Um, but, you know, we had people step up and donate money to help keep us going at that time. And when, you know, we're hitting October, November and seeing that a November that normally would pull in, uh, you know, something like eight to $10,000 worth of revenue in advertising in a normal November was like literally $920. Mm. Uh, that was like, okay, yeah, we know that in order to even be here in February, let alone uh, whenever things get fully back up and everybody's playing games and we, you know, the, the model returns to normal. Uh, we knew we were going to need help. So uh, we had been, we have always talked, and I think I've even said it probably publicly, but certainly shared it with coaches and stuff like that. This is before we go under, before we, you know, just pull the plug, we're going to ask, and we haven't asked in 20 years and so we are now. So like Dave said, it's on the front page of D3 Hoops and D3 Football and D3 Baseball. Patreon is a subscriber kind of setup. So people subscribe to people who make content and agree to um, pay them a significant, a significant, a specific amount of money. Uh, in, sometimes it's significant. And Never gets fine. <laughs> they're all significant. I don't mean to say that because having a uh, a regular stream of revenue that we can count on makes things a whole lot easier. So, you know, we know that, you know, at the moment we're talking, there's 130 people who have subscribed to the Patreon. Um, and that gives us, you know, a specific number of dollars that we can count on in any given month or every given month. So subscriptions start as low as $3 and we have an offering that's as high as $50 in which you can kind of join our Slack channel and be, you know, a, a complete D3 guru, if you like. We're glad to do that. There was some, there's someone who's actually uh, volunteered money up and above and beyond that every month, which is wow. crazy talk. And we're, we're very thankful, very thankful, Brian. Um, but, you know, there, there's, lots of, there's lots of various options there, basically. Think of it if you were subscribing to public radio, uh, which is a similar sort of model. You could get the content anyway, most of the content. And not have to pay a specific number of dollars a month, but you want to support the enterprise. You want to make sure that the operation continues as it has uh, every, 
all and winter since November of 1997. That is how you can uh, support that. And if you're, you know, someone who's sponsoring at the $10 a month level or something like that, then, you know, that's two drinks at Starbucks, something like that. I don't spend a lot of time at Starbucks, but my, uh, my 23 year old says, yeah, that's a, that's a fair, it's about right. That's a a fair, uh, equivalency. Um, or, you know, at this point, uh, one meal in the drive-thru at whatever place you go to the drive-thru at who's not sponsoring us at the moment. So (laughs) but people who sponsor at like the $10 level and and above per month, we have, we're gonna have a special offering for you guys. When we have like top 25 polls, we're going to give you some real inside and uh, inside info and some insight into more about how the voting is going. Like everybody gets to see the results and that won't ever change. But, you know, some of the things we might tell you is like, well, let's say, you know, the team that's number five is actually getting votes from everywhere from, you know, three votes at number two down to, you know, three votes at number 11 and one vote at 12 or something like that. You know, just to give you some general idea. And we'll talk with some voters about how they do stuff and that sort of thing. Uh, I think that's, uh, you know, something that's a little, um, you know, knowledge that we can kind of give back to people. And then we'll also communicate with, all of the Patreon patrons on a regular basis. Uh, and we've done that a couple of times already, just to talk about what we're seeing in the landscape, what people are talking about, uh, what might be coming in terms of announcements, in terms of what the season might look like for basketball. And Dave is covering all that in other podcasts uh, and not specifically with me in this conversation. We're here to talk about, uh, you know, how COVID has affected the operation of D3sports.com. But so I have, done what I usually do here and monopolized the conversation, monopolized, monopolized like the conversation that. for about five minutes. Well, um, I just to say one more thing. If like a monthly uh, recurring uh, debit off your card is not something that you're interested in, if you also look on the page, there's an option for single, uh, single payment donations. And people have been very generous with that as well. Um, you know, all over the place. I think we've gotten a big boost from the folks who are fans of CCIW schools as we did in 2000, that's very helpful. Uh, Mary Hart and Baylor and Mount Union people, big uh, football programs, um, uh, folks uh, from Williams uh, and I would, uh, North Central, I would start dropping other names, but then I'm gonna you know, get to the point where I'm leaving people out. But yeah. uh, that's <laughs> you know, a, big, a big boost to everything that's happening here. To be honest with you, we really would have had to pull the plug uh, here in the course of the next couple of months or you know, go to our hand, go on our hands and knees to Presto Sports and say, "Hey, is there any chance you could maybe have us not pay you for a year?" Yeah, no big deal. Yeah, that's kind of unprofessional, uh, <laughs> and we did uh, we did not want to go that route. So no. thank, you. thank you to everybody who has subscribed or given money, and um, you know, and there were there is always room for more. As of the time we're talking, 130 is right about halfway to the goal that. Uh, we would like to get in terms of number of people and uh, amount of revenue pledged per month. And it certainly had some traction initially. I know you've, you've uh, made more of a push since, but when it got out of the gate, I even had individuals contacting me. I think I found out about it before I realized you had done it. Uh, <laughs> and I only say that jokingly because it did gain that kind of traction. It was one of those where I got a message and went, yeah, I, Slack channel was blown up a minute ago. Let me, let me go read that for a minute first. Um, and this is something that, you know, certainly, again, we don't like asking for it, but now that it's in place, it can be something that can keep us at least stable or stabler to make up more words 
down the road because what people don't know is we're we're going through ups and downs all year long. So this is a, a, something we've been toying with, and, and maybe it grows from here, Pat, too. Yeah, it would certainly be nice. Like we could be. Here's the other thing, right? Uh, you know, we're very, as I said, advertising based. Uh, the banners that are on the website. You know, a lot of people block ads everywhere, and there are some bad actors out there. There are some bad websites that put, uh, you know, a metric crap ton of ads. Oh, like, absolutely. Onto onto their pages, and and really, you know, force people to to block ads. And it's it's hard for me anymore. I used to be, you know, this moral high ground guy and say, you cannot block ads on websites because those are content creators. That's how they get their money. If those ads are blocked and they don't get displayed, then the, the, the content creator doesn't get that revenue. It's not like, it's not Google or whatever that gets shafted. It is the right. So, but you know, I understand. And between that and, you know, so much has switched to mobile and the mobile experience is a little different from that standpoint as well. Um, you know, we just don't get the revenue there that we used to, even though the traffic has been pretty stable for the better part of a decade. So this is another instance in which, uh, you know, we can, you know, Dave, you mentioned it, um, you know, our revenue is congruent with our traffic and traffic is huge in October, November, December, in February, March, somewhat in May because of baseball, but then there's a lot of flat in between. Whereas, you know, Patreon subscribers uh, then pledge to do that on an ongoing basis. So it would be really helpful for us for budget planning, for being able to hit the ground running in July and August, for doing off-season stories to know that, hey, we have X number of dollars that we know we're going to get every month from the people who subscribe, from the people who want to support the enterprise and the coverage of Division Three News at d3sports.com. And now I really feel like I'm on the public radio station, on the public TV station. I'm about to tell you about the tote bags and all of that stuff because I feel like I'm right in pledge drive mode right now. I've been there. I know what you mean. It's a weird feeling. Yeah. Uh, well, listen, we'll get an update from you when we get to January and whatever our coverage is, uh, as we've discussed on these podcasts. We're still feeling it all out because of the season. But we'll get an update. And we'll get more information on you. And then we'll also dive in with you on thoughts of what's been going on. Uh, though quickly, I do want to ask, you know, your, your quick gut shot thoughts on just how things have progressed and, and where, when we may ever get back to normal, understanding that you may not have an answer to that, but I'm just curious your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, my hope is that normal, normal, we might be able to do that this upcoming fall. Uh, by that, I mean, you know, nine months from now when, sure. when the fall sports would take the field. I feel like, you know, this is, you have to be then uh, an epidemiologist or a virologist to really understand or to yeah. know that sort of thing. But to, to feel like there is a, a vaccine that's coming and people are going to start getting it will be super helpful. I was disappointed that we didn't have more than five football games in the fall. I really felt like there was an opportunity for more teams to compete, even if it was just like a one-off basis. Um, so I'm really uh, gladdened to see uh, teams making a go of it in basketball and I'm going to put the air quotes up for succeeding because obviously, you know, nothing is perfect so far. And, you know, people have had to cancel games because of positive tests and that sort of thing. But, um, you know, I, I am, uh, I'm a generally a person who uh, wants to, well, who will, who will be a, a mask up person and will want to stay safe and that sort of thing. Um, but that doesn't mean that we can't do any of the things that we normally do. So like I, 
sing in a choir a lot. That is something that we cannot do right now. That is a super spreading event. I'm not sure that playing basketball is a super spreading event. Um, in the spring, when the sports are primarily outdoors, I feel pretty hopeful that we'll have, I feel pretty hopeful that we'll have some of that as well. But, you know, it's, it's really hard to tell. I'm just glad to see that, you know, as we're sitting here in December, some teams are playing basketball. Some teams are collecting D1 paydays for playing basketball. Yes. I think that's great for those programs uh, because that's revenue that uh, D3 schools and D3 athletic departments desperately need. So um, I'm, I'm happy that we're seeing some basketball being played. And I hope that we get, we hope we stay at 60% or more. Yeah, we'll see. Obviously, time will tell. It's a weird analogy, but you need the canary in the, in the cave mind to some degree to understand what's going on in these teams rightly or wrongly, depending on how you look at it, are giving us at least some understanding of what works, what doesn't work, what's a fault, what, what, what's a challenge, what's not a challenge. But um, it's and nice to see games. I sat there and watched one, uh, several in the last uh, few nights and few weeks, but it's also a little strange. <laughs> it is. But, you know, also, um, you know, the FBS football guys have, uh, right. you know, by the fact that they won't stop. <laughs> can't stop, stop. Yes, they need that money more than D three schools need D one money. Yeah. Um, but they, you know, they have gone out and really been the test cases for this sort of thing. And everybody, I think, is learning from that. And you know, hopefully, that will. You know, we are. It's a. It's called a novel coronavirus for a reason, right? It's brand new. Novel means new. That is a Latin thing, I think. That's my understanding. Yeah. So we are learning stuff every day, every week. What we knew a week ago you know, might, uh, might not be the same today. And we're recording this, I feel like I'm going to say on December 10th. So who knows when you hear it, what it's going to be like, but that's what it's like today. Well, no, you're right. Cause it, <laughs> unless we're airing this live, it's, it could change by the time it gets out the door in an hour two two in a week. So, yeah. Well, thanks for the time. I really appreciate it. As always give the final word, final thoughts you want to share with us out there tuned in. People stay safe, have a great holiday season, whichever holiday it is or holidays that you choose to uh, choose to uh, recognize or choose to celebrate. Uh, if you have a, a, a bare metal pole up in your living room and you, uh, you know, have the uh, feats of strength, more power to you and all of those other things, um, you know, be judicious about what you do with your lives so that we can all really get back to whatever the new normal is as fast as possible. He is Pat Coleman. He's got He's right about that. Uh, for T3sports.com on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsaw Hotline. So there you go. There's the understanding of the impact that this virus has had on us as a business model. Appreciate Pat being uh, forthright and, and willing to come on and talk about something that is really difficult to talk about from a personal perspective. It is tough to say we are struggling. We need your help. We have done so on the Hoopsville show uh, several times and had fundraisers that many of you have asked us to have. There, there's been a handful of times where I'm like, well, I'm not going to fundraise this year. We asked for stuff last year. Really appreciate it. But uh, I'm not going to keep asking. But people have insisted that I do. And we've set up something in perpetuity right now. And we've thought about the Patreon system and option as well. And we, and we very well may head down that road. We're not going to do so now because we want the focus on D3 Sports. Though you might remember at the end of last season, we did have a fundraiser which just happened to coincide with everything shutting down. And the D3 community was more than generous, which we certainly appreciate and thank and, and whatnot. Now, a lot of that money, in case you're wondering, uh, was supposed to go towards um, updates and new things. We, we've 
To give you some background, we've removed our phone line. We won't be doing interviews traditionally on a hard line. Um, we we'll, may still use a phone for other reasons, but long story short, our next move was to remove the audio board we've been using for so many years and move to something new that's a little bit more mainstream with what we do. Unfortunately, the money that we raised had to be used immediately towards bills, mortgages, and the like, because when Division Three canceled its season along with the rest of the NCAA, so did my employment. I went four straight months without a single day of work before getting a tremendous work over the summer with two incredible organizations that I enjoy working for, but that has now ended as well. And as long as Division Three institutions and other institutions, especially in my region, are not um, uh, having sports or ha need or have a need, I remain on the sidelines as well, though not not without good effort to try and not remain on the sidelines. It may require some harder decisions in the near future, but the money we raised, while it didn't immediately impact Hoopsville, it will impact it down the road because it allowed us to survive so far the nine months in between. And I want to say a heartfelt thank you to every single one of you who donated, including one who donated just the other day. Uh, I, I hope you will find it or find an opportunity or find it in your budget to help D3 sports. Cause let's be honest without D3 hoops.com Hoopsville doesn't have a home either. Even though the two of us are technically separated in terms of how we go about our financial life, we have a website home at D3 hoops, which certainly takes a little bit of the burden of having our own available as well. And so you helping D3 hoops will help Hoopsville. We will get to a fundraiser or fundraising efforts down the road, ones we've been talking about for several seasons now that we hope to have that are longer term, give you more content. But right now, the focus needs to be on the D3 Sports Group, and I hope you'll consider that. You can find more information on our fundraisers right on the homepage at d3hoops.com. Hard to miss. You can also find it at D3 Sports, D3 Football, and D3Baseball.coms as well. Um... Again, I want to thank everybody who has supported us and all of you who've gone out of your way to either reach out to me uh, to support D3 Hoops or re found a way to support D3 Hoops on your own as well. With that, I'm going to actually wrap up the show without taking a break. The show has gone long enough, and so we don't need to add another minute and a half, two-minute break uh, to keep you guys from getting stalled out on things. This wraps up our three podcasts for this week. And unless there's some major breaking news before the holidays, we will take a break until January. Our hope and our goal is to return to video shows sometime in January should we be have, have some kind of season. I don't know what that looks like right now. As I indicated in the first block, we may not have an NCAA tournament, but we may have some sports to talk about. Whether we decide to do video shows, whether they decide to do live video shows, or just stick to the podcasts in the interim is to be determined. And we will figure that out as we get closer to trying to put a show on the air. Um, there are pluses and minuses for all the avenues. We just haven't found out the right choice as of now. We also want to reach out to advertisers and sponsors um, to see what their thoughts are and whether they're going to be able to support us for another season as well. But we will try and do something. We will do something. No matter what is going on, we will not disappear, that's for sure. Um, but we, what our content is, is to be determined. And it won't be determined, again, unless we have major breaking news until after the new year. 
We should point out that the NCAA convention, which will be held virtually, will take place January 11th through the 15th. And we will certainly have some stuff to talk about after that. There's only one bill that I'm aware of on the table for Division Three to vote on. That's name, image, and likeness. We talked about talked about that bill and what it looked like with Dan Dutcher over the over the summer. But we also will have a future interview with Dan Dutcher because if you missed the news, and it's something I probably should have mentioned prior, Dan Dutcher will be retiring at the end of January after his term is over. He is part of the quote-unquote cutbacks at the NCAA headquarters. He took a buyout option, and I can't blame him that much. He had a few more years. He felt back still in the tank, but he decided uh, that retirement was the better avenue, and so he has taken that. He will be missed, and we will talk to him and get reactions from others later in January. He's promised us definitely to go out with an interview. We will also certainly talk to other movers and shakers in Division Three. So that's why I say we will have shows. What kind of shows and how they're produced is to be determined. How often we will do shows will be determined. We will cross that bridge when we get a better sense of what's going on both for us and for uh, the sport when we get to the other side of the holidays. Now, there may be something, again, breaking news may force us to do a show sooner. Um, I've even thought about having a show with all of us gurus on to talk about Division Three, and that may have to come when cancellations come, or if we're, or if we're teetering on the edge. I don't think we'll be teetering on the edge. I think we'll either be there or not there, but nonetheless. So there you go. That wraps up our show. I think we've covered it all this week. Have we? If we've not, please contact us. You can tweet us at D3Hoopsville. You can tweet us using the hashtag Hoopsville. Of course, we use the hashtag D3Hoops as well for general Division Three news. You can also email us, Hoopsville at D3Sports.com. You can message us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. You can try and message us on Instagram as well at D3Hoopsville there. And if we miss something, let us know. We'll try and uh, figure that out, as it were. We, um, we've covered a lot. And this is a complex topic that nobody's got a roadmap for. And so we don't know what the right and wrong answers are. We don't know what we won't know them for weeks, but or months or years or decades. But hopefully we won't have to go through this again. But we're not out of it yet, so let's focus on that. I hope you all have great holidays, whether you've already celebrated them or you are going to celebrate them. We hope you and your family have a great holidays, have safe holidays and that your families are safe and sound. We also hope the student-athletes' families are safe and sound as well. We, again, appreciate all of your support of this show. We appreciate the support of the National Association of Basketball Coaches, Women's Basketball Coaches Association, Blue Frame Technology, and D3Hoops.com. Their help has also allowed us to stay on the air, and we continue to work with those partnerships as we move forward. If uh, if you are a basketball coach who is not a member of the NABC or the WBCA, may I suggest you consider it seriously. They are a solid organization for coaching ranks and sometimes awards for your own student athletes uh, will or will not happen because of your membership. If you want to be an NABC or WBCA All-America selection, for example, your coach needs to be a member of those organizations. Of course, we've mentioned and talked about the D3 Hoops support of this show as I've been a member of D3 Hoop staff for quite a number of years and I appreciate that and they've been supportive of our show as well. But then Blue Frame Technology, if you are looking for a new avenue to stream, whether it's the production software that you use or it's the um, streaming 
platform that you use, please give Blue Frame Technology a call. Their production truck software is software that we use. Um, it is software I used in a lot of different mediums. And their streaming platform, including Team One Sports app, which allows you to be seen on Roku, on Apple TV, Amazon Fire, and, and the like, certainly is impressive and one of the best in the business. I don't say that because I'm partners with them. I take web streaming very seriously, as many of you know. And so I know all the options out there. And for college athletics, especially small college athletics, they are a very good choice in the business. And with that, we will wrap things up. Thanks for tuning in to these three uh, shows that we put together this week. While we were late to get on with this season, we, uh, we wanted to make sure to get on with this season. And we, uh, we worked hard to get these three on the air. And I want to thank all of our guests, but especially today, um, Don Falstick at Amherst. Of course, uh, Joe Bednarch at Yeshiva and Pat Coleman. I want to thank the Melissa at Amherst. And uh, I want to thank our good friend at, at Yeshiva, <laughs> AJ, for helping us um, make this happen. And with that, we wrap it up. Hope you enjoyed them. If you missed any of the other podcasts, please find them on our show page, d3hoopsville.com, or you can find them on our Twitter accounts and Instagram. Go back and listen. We've had some really good guests this week with really insightful in, uh, perspectives and information across the gamut. Um, we had this idea given to us from a few people as I tried to kind of bounce the idea of doing shows off the wall. And they said, why don't you put a bunch of shows together from different perspectives? We did. And this is how it turned out. And I thought it worked out well. Thanks again, everybody. Hope you enjoyed it. You've been listening to Hoops Hope presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC studios presented in part by Blue Frame Technology as well. We will be back in January unless breaking news force us otherwise. And we will figure out what kind of content we have. In the meantime, follow us on Twitter for breaking news and updates on our current situation. And thank you for taking the time to listen to what was a long show, but certainly an important one. Thank you. Have a great holiday. We'll talk to you soon. broadcast of Hoopsville is a property of DMAC Productions and David McHugh and is intended solely for the private, personal use of our audience. Any other broadcast, rebroadcast, or other use of the descriptions and accounts of this show without the express written consent of Hoopsville and DMAC Productions is strictly prohibited.